Artists Worldwide. Welcome to Global Brothers Podcast. I am the Dandy. I uh, got my co-host, my brother, Heath, with me as always. Peace. Peace, brother. Peace. Uh, we have a very, very special show today. and We all know what's going on in the world. Not only do we have a pandemic, which is affecting globally, we also have another pandemic, which is called racism and um, systematic racism at that. Um, this ingrained in many societies, but particularly, um, you know, in the, Ameri- the American system. So um, like we're going to be having a conversation about quite a few things within that. And uh, we're so blessed today to be joined by a survivor of uh, police violence and an uh, inspirational brother, uh, Brother Leon Ford. I'll tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he's an inspirational young man. He is a survivor of police violence. He was shot multiple times at close range that left him paralyzed but not finished. And since that traumatic ordeal, uh, he has run for city council in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He has written his first book, which is called Untold. Uh, he's traveled internationally, which was his first time traveling internationally. So like that changed his life a bit there. Um, and, and, and he's been spreading a message of good hope, you know, being a public speaker. And uh, he's just released uh, an award-nominated documentary called Leon. Uh, we want you guys to check out. That's, that's on YouTube. So it's called Leon, the Leon Ford story. And um, also, he's learning to walk again. Leon Ford. Good morning, good afternoon, peace. Thank y'all for having me. Well, yeah, Leon, um, I'm going to give my uh, disclaimer before we get started. Uh, Leon, uh, his uncles and his mom, uh, I actually went to school with them. And, you know, I had a problem with, with, with that family. You know, they used to bully me. Hey, and yeah. I... You know, and I, and I can remember being in second and third grade when I lived around that area because we lived in the row houses. Uh, I couldn't even talk to, as a third grader, his mom because of the big brothers was bullying. You know, I couldn't even get close to her. So um, it's just a pleasure to, to know a brother, an offspring of a, a big family that I grew up around in the hood uh, who turned out to be a magnificent uh, soul, you know, and he came to Dubai last year. Um, You know, we knew each other, we met each other. We didn't have a a, a strong connection. And then he actually read uh, Going Global, The Life-Changing Experiences of 10 Courageous Black Men, which I was privileged enough to be a co-author of. We connected again, he reached out and he was on a plane over here. And then when he got off the plane, he had my 26-year-old son, which is his friend, with him as a surprise. That's the type of dude he is. Um, he's traveled the world. He's involved in some really big things. Um, the situation that he uh, was involved in back in 2012 um, has catapulted him to unthinkable heights in the midst of being in pain as well. Um, And he's done some things that other people couldn't fathom doing. I know I couldn't. So Leon, it's a pleasure 
uh, you, of you being on the Global Brothers Podcast. Let me add one more thing. Leon was with the Dandy and I when we did our first taping of Global Brothers Podcast in Abu Dhabi at the White Party. He was there at our first episode, behind the scenes. Uh, so it, it's, it's wild how it comes full circle. Now he's on our platform. We're a year in. We're about 26, 27 episodes in. I might have lost count. We might be at 30 episodes of Global Brothers Podcast. But welcome, brother. We're going to get into it. We're going to get after it today. So, and I know you know me. I'm, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk. Okay, and, 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 and one of the things, the reason why we're going to talk, and when you were in Dubai, I even asked you, I said, why do people like me lean on you for strength? And I know you get that. Can you, can you respond to how much pressure you've gotten from other people's injuries and people who, and when you wrote the book Untold, when you told me what, why you came up with the title, that was because other people who were involved in the same misfortune don't have a voice. So you're speaking for people who are not here, who didn't survive police brutality. And then there's people like myself who were injured. Yes, I said it. Who are injured, but look for you for strength. It's, um, that's a that's a great question. It's it's kind of like um, my lived experience has has really um, has really like uh, planted me in 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 this life to become who I am today. And um, everything about my experience has nurtured who I am and uh, help me grow and evolve. And so anytime you have something that is a pillar, uh, when people are tired, even though they are strong themselves, they lean on it, right? So um, you ever been like walking somewhere and um, you know, you, you might've been a little wary, right? And, and you, may, you may see a, a, a fence or a tree or you know, a, a light pole, and you just kind of lean on it, <laughs> or a wall, you just lean on it. Um, even though you're strong, even though you're fully capable of standing on your own, you know, you just, um, you know, position yourself to distribute some weight to that thing uh, to really assist you or help you or, or to provide you some comfort. And so I believe that you know, there's people out there who, who see me and they, they can uh, identify my strength. Um, they have an understanding of uh, what I've been to, um, uh, what I've been through, sorry. And uh, they just feel that, you know, I'm someone that they can come to to, to talk, someone that they can come to um, to really seek guidance or an understanding of of how to, right? Being that, you know, what I've experienced was so extreme. And so, um, I mean, I'm always open to uh, sharing, you know, uh, my process. Before uh, I went, actually, before I went to therapy, I used to try to save people, right? Mm -hmm. And so people would come to me 
uh, with their uh, problems or whatever their adversity was, I would try my best to like uh, be Superman, you know. Uh, but after you know therapy, I'm more of um, the type of person who, you know, I I know what I can take, and I just you know give people. Uh, the tools and resources to save themselves uh, because uh, I mean, we, we all, we all have the capacity and the strength to save ourselves. And, you know, a lot, many times our willingness to save ourselves is directly connected to our spiritual purpose. You know, it was a lot of pressure. Um, and here I am talking about me again, right? I said, I, people lean on you. When you said you were coming here, and of course, I didn't know you were bringing my son Cameron as a surprise, which was amazing. But when you said you were coming here, I immediately had a lot of pressure on, I, I, I endured a lot of pressure, I took on a lot of pressure, just thinking about how I can have you in a space where there's no worries, right. you know, so you can relax, so you can feel comfortable, I'm from the same city as you in the same neighborhoods as you, okay? And I know, and I can only imagine the pressure you have. Marlon, uh, uh, at the top of the show, talked about you running for political office. Right. Every time something happens, people want Leon's face in front of it to say, hey, you know, Leon, what do you think? And I wanted you in Dubai to just stare at the sky, brother. And I wanted, I didn't want to do anything but be that person you can lean on and that space you can come to, to uh, just get away from it all. You being right. in Pittsburgh right now, with this going on, what are you dealing with? Um, I have been triggered just because I'm so connected uh, to what's happening, however, I don't feel pressure anymore. I, I feel like um, we can, we can control that pressure, you know, based on how we decide to live our lives. And a lot of times, it's only pressure because we allow it to become pressure, right? And so, um, throughout my process, throughout my journey, you know, I found a, a strong sense of self, and I I do what I'm called to do spiritually, but I don't allow external forces to move me you know um i have an internal voice that i'm very receptive to and so um i practice you know mindfulness and you know um meditation as a practice uh to keep me balanced and you know um for instance like friday i was i was fired up friday man. um and I was angry, confused, you know, frustrated. Um, I didn't eat uh, Saturday. I didn't eat Sunday until about Sunday evening. Um, and then, then I had a, a call with some friends and that kind of brought my spirit up. And then I meditated. And once I meditated, I began to connect dots in my head about how, you know, I was strategically positioned to do certain things. And my, my thoughts became more clear to me. And I was able to, you know, reach out to a few people. Um, now I'm working on something 
um, like leveraging all my my contacts and influence uh, to work on on something that and even in that in that mindfulness, I had to put my pride to the side and reach out to some people that I wouldn't necessarily want to reach out to, you know. Uh, but I'm thinking about um, what community looks like and, and how to how to uh, how I can leverage my platform to, to add value to the world. And so that that wasn't pre- pressure; it was more mindfulness, and uh, it was connected to what I was feeling deeply in my spirit. I felt I feel as though a lot of times when we talk about pressure, is uh, we, we are reacting um, to something or or, or someone. And it's, it's something that we're not, we're, we're not fully, uh, we haven't fully processed. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's how I balance myself out is, is through mindfulness and uh, having a strong sense of self. That's for self. Uh, Leon, I want to, um, I want to bring, I want to bring you back. Uh, I know you've, I know you've spoken about it on so many occasions, uh, and all, like all the media things that you've done, like over all these years, but, um, you know, a lot of people in the room, they're, they're new to your, they're new to your experience. And, uh, really brother, I think, I think, I think it'll do a lot for everyone to kind of like hear it from you, a survivor of this kind of situation that we're all just feeling pain from and a bit of confusion and a bit of just anger. So I want you to bring us back to like that, that that like life changing uh day you know um in 2000, 2012 right well i mean it was it was a normal day for me right i was you know a 19 year old trying to figure out life um and then i got pulled over and shot right uh before that experience i wasn't really engaged in social movements um i i, I wasn't really um, active, um, but then that experience completely, completely changed my life. And um, so I was shot, paralyzed, and I was facing uh, time in prison. And um, that's really what you know sparked me to use my voice. And um, sorry, can can you can you kind of explain that? Like how how does how does a victim of a police shooting get charged with the crime and also, like, there's, like, another layer to that as well, whereas your son was being born at the same time in the hospital and you weren't able to see him. Like, I just want you to kind of, like, layer all those things on top for us because, like, you know, it's really deep, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is America, right? It's, it's the same. How did, how did I get shot, right? It, it's, it's connected to how I, why I got pulled over, you know? It's, it's connected to, um, you know, why I was... I, in high school, I, I had a I had a teacher who would write me a referral. I was very real talkative in, in school. So this woman would write me a referral before I even walked in her class, and I would just pick my referral up off her desk, and I would never go to the office. Um, I would just basically be in a hall, you know, the entire period, and that was just my normal, right? And so I feel as though, uh, you know, uh, Black Americans have accepted a normal that is completely unacceptable. We've been culturally conditioned to, you know, accept this abuse. So we ask, like, how does this happen? It's because we've accepted abuse for so long. And, you know, even, you know, before I got, the day I was shot, I was pulled over all the time. Like, there's weeks that I, you know, would get pulled over three, four times a week. And these officers would just, you know, run my plate, 
flashed our light in my car and let me go, right? And that was completely normal. And so I was shot, um, charged, you know, with felony offenses because that's what they can do, right? And they were uh, protecting their assets because anytime someone is shot, there's uh, a chance for, for a civil suit, right? Um, so they were protecting their assets legally. And um, yeah, it's, that's just how it goes, unfortunately. And it's like, it's deep, a, part, a part of my outrage is it has you know, more to do with the fact that uh, people think this is, is, is new. Like people are just becoming outraged, right? It's like, this is, this is like, we should all always feel like this, right? And if, if uh, white people say that, you know, they, they're just, they're, I'll, I'll argue that that's not fully true because this is, this has been going on. And, um, if they weren't aware of the, the many cases that blew up before this, then they intentionally turned a blind eye to it. You know, I know my, my story is important, um, I, I, but I, I believe that, um, you know, the, the insights and observations that I've made since then um, is, is equally and even, even more important. And, I just, um, I mean, I can go into all the, the details of the shooting. I just don't like to go there, right? Um, I'll uh, gloss over a little bit. Just just um, just um, like the one part, I just wanted to like, you know, tell the people that that was just like, you know, heart-wrenching to me that at the same time, like you're fighting for your life after being shot five times by the police, that right. in that same hospital, like your son is being born and you can't see him. Uh, but since that, like, you know, on your speaking journey, like he's been there with you, like hand in hand, kind of like pushing you along like, daddy, you can walk, you can walk kind of thing. And that was, that was, that was like, just like very like tearjerker to me. And just, just yeah. so I mean, father, fatherhood is important. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I'm, unfortunately this is America and I feel as though we are at war. And so I have to, you know, provide my child with the tools to survive. Right. And, you know, uh, like, you know, on one end, my, my family prepared me for the world, but the world, you know, is unforgiving. And so the work I do is very much connected to my son because I'm trying my best not only to prepare, prepare my son for the world, but to also prepare the, uh, the world for my son. Right. And so how can I influence the world in a way that I can create an environment that can support my son's growth and that could, can really um, protect him from this, this violence, but also how can I um, prepare my son in a way where he can protect himself um, when I'm not around. With your motivation for uh, running for city council in Pittsburgh uh, after, you know, after like, you know, you were in recovery, um, what was your feeling behind that? Was it like that you could change the system from the inside? Because we're starting to hear like, you know, like a former president of U.S., Barack Obama, just like saying, go vote. Let's do this another way. Even George Floyd's brother uh, was on TV yesterday saying, you know, go vote. Um, what was your feeling behind that whole city council run? And then what happened with that kind of like why you, why you pulled out? Um, honestly, honestly, the, the feeling was, uh, I didn't. I didn't believe in politics, 
Um, and I just wanted to see for myself if it worked. Uh, it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit of like, you know, these, these people, you know, uh, basically fucked me over. And it was kind of uh, a middle finger to the city. And um, it's because I, I felt like I could do it, right? Honestly. Um, and, you know, in that, in that moment, I thought that it was, you know, uh, for people, but it was really for me, right? And uh, I realized through, you know, uh, going, going through therapy, while going through therapy, that, you know, it was, it was a part of my trauma. And a while, you know, I did have good intentions and I, and I, and I wanted uh, to really add value to the community. It, would, it, it had more to do with, with my pain and frustration toward the city than, you know, it did with uh, me actually wanting to go into politics. Yeah, and um, I don't know, whenever, uh, like in the midst of that race, man, dealing with politicians, uh, it was frustrating, you know. I, I really, I, I realized and, and had like a, a front row seat um, into politics and how toxic it is. And um, honestly, I don't believe that, you know, there's a such thing as a good politician. You know, as, as a politician, it's like, um, I don't believe you can be a politician and not, not get your hands dirty, right? And, you know, uh, I just don't trust any politician at all. Um, and so I, I felt like either, you know, um, politics was going to reject me or I was going to, re my spirit was going to reject politics and my, my spirit completely rejected politics. And I had to, you know, choose me and figure out uh, what God had in store for me in my life. Leon, um, <clears throat> confusion. Um, a lot of us, while we're emotional, we're extremely confused, especially since this is an election year. Um, we're always confused. What the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, we're always, we're all, you know, I, I work in school districts. I'm in the system, right? So school to prison pipeline, uh, culturally responsive education. I mean, I worked in some of the, the, the most racist, and this is an urban education. This ain't. Uh, out in the suburbs somewhere. This is in the system, and they hire watchdogs like myself to uh, be honorary slave catchers. I, you know, I'm being a little dramatic here, but you know, no, you're not. Yeah, I know. But but for some people, I am. You know, until until we see what we see on TV, that's when Heath becomes. I think you might have had a point back in 2006 when we when we when we thought you were a little too racial and a little too radical. Anyway, confusion is what I'm dealing with right now because I'm a genius. I came up with this master plan of 40 million, and I think there's about 37.5 million African-Americans. And my plan was let's hashtag registered black non-voter because the people you were talking about colored glasses and I don't see race and I don't see color and Leon you're such a wholesome nice guy and we love your smile 
Those are the people who are way more of a problem than some of these conservative derelicts uh, who are out here letting us know who they are. The people who are patting us on the back and begging for our vote are the people who turn their back on us and take our, gentrify our communities. We've talked about this, of course. My confusion or my, I said, why not if someone needs something from you, you say no. And, And then you'll get eight more years of pence. Not just four more years of him, eight years of pence. How about that? And everybody looked at me and started singing. This, I heard the banjos and the, 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 uh, the mammies came out and the sambos came out. And, and guess what they said? Heath, you got to vote, man. We fought for the right to vote. We died for the right to vote. After I saw a man, not a boy, a 45-year-old man, ask for his mother while he was being killed, I was driving down the street saying, Biden, you got my vote, bro. You got my vote. Damn it, you got my vote. It's very complex, right? You know, it's like on one end, the frustration, right? And the confusion is that I don't matter here, right? My my voice doesn't matter. Who am I? Um, and I, I I even go back to say that um, in the last election I didn't vote, right? And I didn't vote because I was shot under under the leadership of a black president, right? Uh, white liberal mayor and a black police chief, right? And and then like they they did nothing, right? Like the mayor, the police chief, they did nothing uh, but try to cover their tracks because to them I was a loss. Uh, they they didn't see Leon Ford the human being. They seen uh, a potential settlement. Right, they didn't see this guy who lost his ability to walk. They saw dollars that they were going to lose. Right, that was going to come out their budget. Right, so I didn't vote. Right, and then we have Donald Trump and all the things that he said and done. Uh, one thing that really struck me is you know the fact that he fired the whole pandemic team. <laughs> yeah. Right, and it's like wow, like maybe if I did vote, right, we would have had a a president who wouldn't have fired the pandemic team. And maybe we, you know, we wouldn't be in this this, um, situation with COVID, right? And so all these things are interconnected, which which makes it complicated, right? It, It makes things very much complicated and you know, the average person doesn't have the time to, you know, delve in and, and, and get a full lens of politics and how, you know, every decision that these people, whether you're in you know, White House or, 
you're in the state capital like Harrisburg or um, you know downtown, right? Uh, these these are individuals who are making several decisions, you know, about you know housing, police, you know, um, you know, supporting businesses, education as they you know uh, collaborate with you know public schools, um, and so. It's it's confusing, bro. And while you know, well, oftentimes we may feel like, damn, it, my voice isn't going to change anything. Sometimes it feels like, damn, my voice could have changed everything, right? So, so what what, what do we do? And um, today's actually election day here, yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's. Uh, it's interesting. I'm just I'm interested to see how people turn out. I mean, there's thousands of people protesting. My guess is maybe, you know, at least 50 percent of those protesters probably aren't registered to vote. Yeah. Well let me tell you something. Nobody nobody on this group, well maybe some people, but most people haven't heard what I'm about to say. The first part, yes. Hillary lost five Obama states. When we say lost them, those five Obama states, those people were liberals. So if we're saying that they lost them, that means they voted for Donald Trump. Democrats, liberals shifted in five states. So, when we're talking about confusion, we're, we're definitely confused because they're the ones that, not you, not your vote, they're the ones that flipped the pendulum over to this guy. You understand what I'm saying? They will talk about voting in the black community. They'll talk about the responsibility but Karen voted for a racist and a rapist. So all you gotta do is look at the exit polls. But my, once again, you were about to go into politics. You were in those rooms, you were talking to clergy, you were talking to community, you actually had a community behind you, okay? You saw it, you saw, what you call toxic. My question, and I'm asking you this, and it's unfair. What should we be thinking about right now? Um, I can't say what we should be thinking about, but I, I can't say we should be thinking. We should be asking questions. Um, one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And uh, one, of the, one of the four agreements is uh, never make assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. We have to start asking questions. Like we can't assume just because Killer Mike said or just because T.I. said or just because Leon said because honestly we all have our own personal interests and personal gain, right? right? Uh, and so we have to move beyond the, the emotionalism of the movement 
and really to really become critical thinkers, right? That's how I parent, right? I don't teach my son what to think. I teach him how to think, mm-hmm. right? And so I would challenge people to just ask questions and just be open and, you know, and express how they feel um, and, and, you know, how these movements are, are making them feel and what their question of what's going on, what's really going on. I think people are so, uh, are more likely to, you know, lean on uh, so-called leadership because, you know, uh, sometimes thinking, be overwhelming. They see uh, you know, him when he has, you know, uh, Mike Doyle. I seen what Mike Doyle said, I'm a vote for Mike Doyle. No, I don't know Mike Doyle. And I don't trust him, right? And and just because Egg Game is black doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, um, trust his relationship with this person. I do it all the time with my friends, right? It's like, I have friends who ask me uh, for lawyers. I'm like, yeah, this is not a lawyer, but I have my own personal relationship to them. Your relationship is going to be completely different. So it's up to you to discern and determine, you know, what your relationship is going to look like and if you can trust this guy. Same thing with therapy, right? I can't, you know, I'm not, like, I love my therapist, right? She's amazing. But the next person that I refer, uh, you know, when I refer somebody to her, you know, it's up to them to discern, like, is she a good fit for me, right? right? And so, um, as, you know, as a culture, as people, we got to become more comfortable with asking questions and, uh, and challenging people. Yeah. Can you break down or, or explain, you know, not, not in detail, but just give a, a quick synopsis on what a grand jury investigation is? Now, I'm going back to Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia right now, okay? what a grand jury investigation actually means and how they overcharge in order to acquit as well as, and this is three parts, so you just go uh, however you feel, see fit. Also, those, I need to be nice, but I'm not. Those plantation sambos, Lee Merritt and Ben Crump, who show up at every police and you fired, you fired Benjamin Crump. Am I correct? Yeah. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hire Benjamin Crump if, if somebody gave me money to do it because, uh, okay. So real, let me finish that question. I'm sorry. So yeah. how they show up jeopardize the criminal case in order to get the settlement. Right. But they, so they're more of, um, as black people, we gotta we have to stop being con- content with uh, PR campaigns, right? Symbolism. And, and symbolism. Have, symbolism, right? Uh, say something bad, you know. Say something wrong, and then he takes a picture with black people, or you know, just. Uh, you know, police officers going to Nene with black kids and they get, they, you know, uh, gain these huge followings on, on social media. Um, 
Like, it, I mean, it happens over and over again. And I, and I, I, I seen it with my case, right? So I got shot uh, November 11th, 2012. Um, my first rally wasn't until, uh, well, my first public appearance wasn't until November 11th, 2013. That was the first moment where the NAACP came out, a few churches came out, and other leaders came out. Before that, I had no support outside of the hood, right? Outside of, um, you know, people who never participated in a social movement. And that support came from Benjamin Crump. When Benjamin Crump came to Pittsburgh, I seen a whole shift, right? And, you know, he came um, and he really didn't offer any legal advice. It was just all PR, right? He's like, yo, this is a script for your mom, a script for you, a script for your dad. And y'all gonna get a Nobel Peace Prize. And I'm like, bro, like, I'm hurting. Like, what do you mean, you know? And so a, a, a few, you know, I'm not about two or three months went past. And um, I don't know, I just, I fired him. Because I'm like, yo, like, you trying to get paid like a lawyer and you ain't offering no legal advice, you know? Bro, a lot of people ask, like, yo, why don't your name get brought up with the other names? When, when I fired him, every last one of my national contacts went away. Wow. Every last, you know, uh, TV interviews, all that. They all, they all went away. And um, was he. Pains, but there's not a lot of talk about the law. I mean, they get on TV and talk. It's, it's really, um, from my experience, it, it, it wasn't about uh, any anything legal, right? Um, so that you, you have that aspect. Um, you have you have uh, police like the F uh, Fraternal Order of Police, the FOP, who are huge co contributors to politicians, yeah. right? regardless of Democratic or Republican, they pretty much own politicians. Um, and so when you have these police shootings, you have a, a district attorney who is funded by the Fraternal Order of Police. We put pressure on a district attorney to charge the officer and they know the law, right? So if you know the law, you become aware of the ways you can get away with doing certain things, right? Once you learn systems, you can figure out how to navigate your way through the system um, in a way where it benefits you, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the fraternal or, or the police funds politicians, then they, what? They do a PR stunt, right? On one end, they tell the community, yeah, we're charging this officer, but with y'all, this is wrong. On the back end, they're telling you know the FOP, look, um, there's no way the way the law is written that this is going to be third degree mur murder, right? This is, I mean, it's it's manslaughter. 
um, and, and the way we, we, we choose the jury, they're, they're not going to charge them with first degree murder, right? Because, right. Um, and, I, and I don't know the actual, you know, um, law off the top of my head, uh, but there's certain levels of intent that has to be proved, certain levels of knowledge that has to be proved. And in the court of law, you know, when, when you have, you know, one side of the story, or even in my case, when you have two sides of the story, um, it's hard to, do, to prove certain things. Like for the, uh, the assault charge on the officer, we had, we, we had, uh, we had the, the burden of proof uh, to prove uh, some type of, of malice, right? When he said, yeah, I was afraid for my life, right? And and so um, if I had a black juror, they could understand certain things that transpired. But when you have, you know, a group of white folks, um, then it's a, it's a different, it's a different conversation. And my- Leon, Leon, uh, hold up. Let me stop you real quick. Yeah, I've been the I've been called to jury duty three times in my life in Pittsburgh. Right. They never take me because it's a pro, it's a game, right? So you have on one side of the table you have the district attorney, right, the Commonwealth, right, or the federal government. On the other side, you have um, the person being charged with a crime, right? And so, in my case. Right, and the, it, for every case, it, what they're looking for is different. But in the, in the case of police brutality, they are looking for so like so the common Commonwealth. They're looking for people who have family members who are police officers. Right. Some of the questions that are asked are: um, Are you are you more likely? Uh, to, like we would ask: are, are you more likely to? believe that a cop is telling the truth over a citizen, right? Uh, if they say yes, we're going to keep digging. My lawyer is going to try to prove that this person is going to be biased towards me, right? If we can prove that through our questions, then they can't get it on the jury. However, the Commonwealth can ask, well, with I know you said you believe all these different things and your cousin was a police officer, but if instructed by the judge, right, would you be able to put all your biases aside and make a decision based only on the facts of the case, right? If they say yes, they can get on my jury pool, right? right. And we only have three strikes. So we can strike three people for no reason, right? Because we feel like, like yo, this is like, you know, uh, uh, like a middle-aged white woman, she's married, her husband might be a racist, she's going to go home and talk to her husband, and he's going to tell her, like, this kid is guilty, right? That's a, it's a complete assumption, right? But this is some of the things we're trying to process while my life is on the line, right? There was a woman who we thought was a hater. We called her a hater the whole time on the, while she was on the jury, and she was actually really fighting for me, right? So it's, you know, it's hard to make a, a, a correct assumption, um, but assumptions have to be made when you're choosing a, a juror. Um, the, so the Commonwealth has three strikes as well, and they want people who are pro-police, right? And so unfortunately, 
you know, out of a, you know, a group of 100 people, there might be like eight black people, right? Four of those black people going to say they got something to do. <laughs> For like, you know, and I'm like, I'm looking them in the eyes like, please. You know, and my lawyers are like, are you, like, you sure? They're like, no, I'm sick. Or, no, I, I don't like officers. And I'm like, bro, like, these white folks are clearly lying and saying that they could put their bias to, to the side to get on this jury. And you're telling these people you hate cops, right? And, like, if you really hate cops, get on my jury, please. That's what I wanted to say, you know? Um, and so there's just this, this civil duty that, you know, as a culture, we're not taught. You know what I'm saying? And um, we just, I mean, that process of jury selection is, is, is very interesting, right? And uh, you also have to think about uh, most people, like if you're not registered to vote, you're not gonna get called for jury duty, right? And, um, and so like in Allegheny County, I, I mean, I, I believe Allegheny County is like 21% black or something like that. That's uh, folks listening and that's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's county surroundings. Yeah, Pittsburgh. So, uh, but then when you leave, uh, when you're outside of Pittsburgh, um, you know, it drops down to like 6% and 4%, right? And like Westmoreland County and, you know, the other surrounding areas. Um, I just forgot one of the questions, sorry. And so- Well, go ahead, go ahead. So it, it's very hard, I try to basically say it's very hard to get a black, black panel, right? Well, all skin folk ain't kin folk. So yeah. if, you look, if you look on um, your timelines, I mean, it, it, this is regular, like this isn't like something happened and look on your timelines and read comments. You'll have a lot of people who have vitriol towards black society and black culture and anti-black sentiment in their comments. Right. So those are some of the people that they vet to be on juries. Carefully vet. Yeah, if I was, yeah, they they're vetting anybody who can be on their side. They're less likely to want any black person because they just don't know, right? They don't know what this person like. For instance, there was a black dude on, on my uh, criminal trial where. I believe he said his dad or somebody was a judge. Oh man, we tried our hardest to get him off the panel, <laughs> right? But he, but he turned out to be someone who really had me in mind, right? And so it's very hard to make an assumption, but you have to make an assumption. You're like it's really a game, right? Like on that uh, on that bit, Leon. Yeah, because game is the big word there is the is the, is the key word uh and i think that with everything that's going on in the streets right now as well what's happened to you what's happened to so many names this is a game the only people not playing the game is black people the the cops are playing the game the 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 judge and the legal system is playing the game everybody else knows their position on the chessboard we're pawns and we don't realize we're pawns everything that happens our cases, our situations are getting used. 
I strongly agree. Yeah, like our, 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 our situations are getting used to, to advance some kind of narrative that creates a secondary thing. There's always something after. We only look at the now because we're playing checkers. But there's an after, and no one's thinking about the after. Like, wait a second, after we burn down the city, then what's going to happen? After right. this, then what's going to happen? Kind of thing. And it's like... It, that, it's interesting because... Um, like Colin Kaepernick, he, he gets praised, and I love Colin Kaepernick, right? Like, uh, I, I'm really inspired by him. However, when I was in trial, I couldn't stand Colin Kaepernick cause, because the oh, situation was blowing up and people were calling out the Steelers for standing in the locker room. And I'm, I'm in trial with an all-white jury, right? And now they're mad as hell that the Steelers and Color Kaepernick is taking knees and they took it out on me in court. Mm. Right? And, and so all, all the officers were acquitted? Yeah. How many? Three. Can you, uh, the last part of that third part question, I just remember what I asked you. I want you to uh, talk to our, our, uh, audience about the slick way the district attorney uh, sets up charges knowing that, what is it called, overcharging? Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah, I, I thought I touched on that. Um, it's really, it's, it's because of their relationship, right? When I talked about the PR, okay, right? They're, they're, they, they charge because they're elected officials, right? So they charge to like some people like, yo, I'm trying to, I'm for this, they get funding from the Fraternal Order of Police. So they overcharge knowing the law, right? So knowing the law, knowing what, they, what you have to prove for manslaughter, what you have to prove for first degree murder, what you have to prove for aggravated assault, right? What you have to prove for third degree murder. They know exactly what they have to prove and based off the facts of the case, what the Lord, what the um, other attorneys are not going to be able to prove in court. So they strategically charge, you know, people with certain things that they know you can't prove it in court. I mean, it's like, I've heard, you know, Farrakhan call the master deceivers. I mean, it's some of the most clever shit I've ever seen where, if I remember correctly, if, they find out through the process uh, in courts that it's clearly another charge. The court and the jury and the judge is still remanded to, to only go, after, uh, go for the rules of the charge Absolutely. that he's charged with. Am I correct? Because they, you have jury instruction. Okay. So, so my question about the third degree charge that the officer Chauvin got. Right. Is that, is that, because you called it overcharging. Is this an undercharge? Because I saw first degree or second degree on the side. So to charge him third degree, they're gonna, they're gonna only have to go off of those instructions, which is clearly not third degree. Am I correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reading um, 
I'm reading facts. Let's see. Third degree murder is defined as killing someone unintentionally and not done as part of the commitment of another felony. Another term is the homicide, third degree murder, or those committed with ill will, or in other words, malice. So he's a police officer. He was detaining him. Uh, he was detaining George Floyd. Um, if there's an all-white panel who don't who who aren't aware of racism and and, and police misconduct, they're not going to assume malice. They're not like you gotta you gotta improve ill will or malice. That's it. Like and so the way the district attorney is going to um what the attorney is going to frame the case is um. My client's a police officer, right? My client has a duty to serve. You know, my client did not have no ill will towards uh, George Floyd. And, um, you know, my client was, was, you know, really, you know, detaining him. And, and uh, he, he, he was trying to his best to arrest him. He did not hate, uh, my client did not hate uh, George Floyd. So it's up to, uh, Benjamin Crump and, and Lee Merritt to say that no, this guy did have ill will, right? And if you have an all white jury, uh, I mean, and it's you know, I don't know the demographics of um, the uh, in Minneapolis, but if you have an all white, it's it's extremely hard to prove that a police officer. Right, because people already put police officers up on this pedestal. Most people enjoy selections if you ask them about, you know, do they trust officers? Everybody will say, yeah. Mm -hmm. The thought of a uh, a jury of your peers, can we all agree that's definitely BS? I mean, listen to all like the loopholes you just went through of how to select a jury. So when they say that you're going to get uh, uh, judged by a jury of your peers. How can these be your peers if they're so hard to find anyone that's like you? That's why I said like this is like this is a grand game. Um, so Heath, I hope I hope I hope that answers your questions. I wanna um, I wanna move on to something that's like slightly related. Um, uh, uh, Jake Tapper on CNN, uh, he had the National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien on, and he asked him point blank: Is systemic racism a problem in America? National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien says there is no problem of systemic racism in police departments, just a few bad apples, the minority, making the 99.9% .9 of us, of the rest of them, look bad, and they are great Americans. So what I was thinking of that, Leon, is if they like math so much, if they consider 99.9% .9 are great Americans, that means that the 0.01% that are poison apples, I don't even like that bad apple term, poison apples, because poison kills you, and that bad is killing people. So let's, like, let's like not sugarcoat that. Uh, th that 0.01% of poison apples that are killing people, if the 99.9% .9 stand by and watch them, guess what math says? That means we have 100% poison apples. Let us know what uh, you think about that. Because the three, the, th the three that were in your case, obviously one of them shot you. The other two, what did they do? They just yeah, and 
And so I, I think the direct action and immediate response is to um, point fingers at officers. But there's a bigger there's a bigger problem. It's a system, bro. Right? And 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 I think that that is not like the argument is it to be made about good apples and bad apples. It's a bad system which makes them all uh bad, right? That makes them all susceptible to do these things, right? It's like, you know, um and even in education, right? Like Ahith, you 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 uh, work the Pittsburgh Public Schools, yeah. right? It's a system, yeah. right? There's a system that prevented you from even doing the work that you were trying to do. Exactly. So even though you were a good guy, even though you had good intentions, you were working for a, a racist system, right? That was systemically failing children. Yes. Right. It's the same thing, right? I, I there's there's officers aware of the system that they're working working with, and they try their best to have influence within that system. Um, unfortunately, the system it, it 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 swallows you, right? Look at the 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 good folks who go into politics, right? And and then they get swallowed whole, you know, by by the by the system, you know, by the by this chaos, and they're forced to play the game, right? And that's what it like to be a black American, it's like you you're forced to play a game or to deny the game. But if you play the game, it's gonna hurt you. If you don't play the game, it's gonna hurt you, right? And so it's it's very complex. It's very complex, man. And I don't I, I think that a lot of people try to put, you know, Try to say like there's one solution to it, right? Um, but it's too complex for one solution. You know, there, there's many solutions, and, and people just have to. Uh, and I would not; they don't have to, but I would encourage people to become more mindful, listen to their spirit. There's some sacrifices that I may be willing to make that the next person may not. There's some sacrifices that you know uh, another person may be willing to make that I may not be willing to make. Right, but if they're called to do something and they can live with it, you know, the next day they can live with it five years from now or ten years from now, fifteen years from now, then you know, they can they 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 have free will to to, to do what they want um, to to have the the change on on you know what's happening that they feel is necessary. You uh you wrote a book, Leon, called Untold. Um, what was like first off, like what's behind that title, and what was it important for you to cover in that book? Yeah, so um, the book I titled it "Untold" because you know my story is a story that isn't told, right? Because uh, so many people are murdered, right? There's not too many people survive uh, to share their stories after being shot by you know someone who who is trained right, uh, tra a trained shooter. Um, and it was important for me to share my process of, of healing, you know, what healing looked like looked like for me and um, what steps I took uh, to really uh, become, you know, the man that I am today. Wow. 
that's very telling like what you just said they're like so many people actually get murdered very few survive like you're a you're a standout story like you know i was reading i was reading an excerpt that said like oh you know you won like you know you won a case of like a financial thing but none of the officers got got uh, convicted and then on top of that like you know you're in the the state that you're in trying to learn how to walk again so it's like what did you really win like you know how do you feel about that when people say like oh yeah but you got a settlement i always say you know uh, they print money they don't print legs right say it like, again brother say it again brother they print money they don't print legs and you know you can you can't buy life right like uh, i know uh eric garner's family rewarded a settlement but then his his daughter died from a heart attack you know from all the stress so it's like you can't you can't buy lives you can't you know buy health you know and um i think that gets lost a lot because we live in a very materialistic and capitalistic world and people feel as though money uh, fixes problems. You referred to uh, your therapist uh, a little while ago, and um, I'm just, I'm extremely happy that uh, she's doing some powerful work with you um, because it's, uh, it's bringing out a lot, you know, um, whether it be the documentary, of course, writing a book. You're writing another documentary, right? Um, I'm working on some TV stuff. Yeah. 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 When you were over in Dubai, you, we were talking about that. Um, talk to us about mental health, man. Anxiety. It changed my life. Um, it, I, I found like different coping mechanisms and that is what you'll find in, in, um, in untold is like my different coping mechanisms how I, you know, got out of the hole, uh, but I was still hurting. I was still broken in many ways. And um, really it's interesting. So when I got my first visit in the hospital, uh, you know, uh, my family, they were crying and I was just smiling like, yeah, I'm cool, you know, uh, I'm fine, you know? And uh, that, that was the mentality that I had for years until it all just fell on me, right? Like uh seven years later right after the criminal the trial was over after the settlement um i was still hurting i, I had so much pain inside me and um and everything my, my it felt like my, my world collapsed right i felt so empty on the inside um even though i was getting all these different um awards and you know making you know different business moves i was still suffering internally and um i just felt called to to see a therapist man and um i made the call bro and and it changed my life it's funny because now like bro i look like i look forward to mondays right my, my sessions are every monday um we, we, we do virtual calls you know with COVID and everything happening but Bro, I'd be like, you know, and I'd be so amped to go to therapy to, to have my sessions. Um, not all sessions are heavy. Like, I think there's this idea that, you know, you go to, you know, therapy and every session is like, my life is horrible. 
and I'm so stressed out. You know, it's not like that. It, you know, I, I laugh at therapy, smiling therapy. You know, we talk about, you know, different ideas that I have, different things that I'm working on creatively. We talk about parenting, we talk about being a son, a cousin, you know, a brother. Um, and uh, it's, it's just been really healthy. I feel more present even my family. Um, I feel, um, I don't feel that pressure that you talked about, right? Uh, that, that pressure is, is deeply rooted in, in trauma, right? Feeling the need um, to save people, feeling the need uh, to do certain things and, and not really know, why, like, why do I feel this need? Where, 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 is, where is this coming from? Right? Why do I feel guilty? Why? Why do I have imposter syndrome? Um, why? 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 Uh, why? Why do I feel like a? Um, why do I have uh, what they call it? Uh, survivor's guilt. Right? All that. Is, all that is rooted in trauma. Deep, deep trauma. And so, um, yeah, it's important. You know, it's important for me to change my life. I feel much lighter uh, because of it. And uh, I, I, I would encourage everyone on on this uh, call. Uh, if they haven't been to therapy, uh, to consider it and also understand that, you know, uh, everyone has their own process. Everyone has their own timeline for when they decide to go to therapy. So if you wait, if you go, if you make an appointment next week, that's cool. If, you know, you don't make an appointment for six months, that's cool. If it takes you a year or two to make an appointment, uh, just trust your process. And, and, you know, when you feel called in, in, in your spirit to go, uh, just make that appointment and uh, don't hesitate to reach out to people in your circle who you feel can encourage you um, to take that step. In your documentary, uh, Leon, entitled Leon, um, that, 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 that was released uh, recently. Um, I checked it out uh, again recently, you know, like in preparation for this. And there's a point in there that's like you're in the therapy session and your therapist, she says, breathe, breathe, breathe. Then she says, you just held your breath. And then there's just like this moment. And then it's like, oh man, like, then it's just quiet, like your hands are over your head. Like, what were you feeling during that? I just heard like breathe. And that just like brought me to like George Floyd and 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 eric garner of i can't breathe and i'm just like wow that's so powerful like like what was that feeling you were going through because you were just quiet and you couldn't say anything it's um it's the feeling of being black in america right where you're 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 overwhelmed and you have this need right you're dependent on suppressing your pain your survival is dependent on it, right? I, I can't afford not to suppress my pain. And in, in that moment, she said, you can, you can, right? You can let it go. You can breathe, right? And I feel like, again, to go back to that pressure, right? And the day that we experience daily, you know, a lot of times we, we hold our breath, right? And like, you know, even when, you know, um, you're bracing yourself, you're bracing yourself for impact, right? Be it, you may be in a car or like, you know, you may feel like something is about to hit you. 
you tense up. And when you tense up, you stop breathing for a second or two, right? And so in that, in that moment, she was encouraging me uh, to let go and, and, and to free myself of all that tension that I was holding in, in that moment. And um, yeah, that's why I think, as, again, I, I think it's important for everyone to go to therapy, especially Black Americans, because, you know, we're carrying so much trauma, right? And, um, you know, it, it, it's like that I can't, we can't breathe in America. I mean, he, that's, that's why you left, right? Like, because you couldn't breathe. Yeah. You too, Dandy, right? Like, let me, let me tell you something, man. Um, I was making, you know, a little over six figures at a school. I was the principal. I went to a suburb, suburban school and took $71,000. I went down about 38000 in pay to heal. And I was the assistant principal at the school. So I took a pay cut and a salary down. I left the Urban Decay and went out to uh, 1960s. That's what, that's what I did, just to, just to move. Now, I only stayed there about a year and a few months, and then I left, you know, I, I went 15,000 miles away. But in America, there's even, there's even parents who they, don't, they can't put their kid in a school because if they put them in a school that's, you know, in, in an urban setting, they're going to put them in a bad system. And then if they put them in a school like where I worked at, where they're a speck of pepper and a salt shaker, they're going to be marginalized and, marginalized and disenfranchised and left behind. So... In America, there's really no place. So, yeah, I did leave for that reason. Um, I wanted to also address address uh, leaving 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 America as well because um for me, uh, a lot of people thought like when when uh you know Barack Obama got elected like everything was going to change like he was just going to be this magical uh, like being and like you know do something so huge for like not only Black America but like Black, you know, Black Africa, like as well, and like you know, like Black people across the globe. Obama would be the solution. Well, like even before Obama got elected, I, I saw when uh, George uh, W. got elected uh, the second time, and uh, I think I think that was the Al Gore, um, you know, instance. And uh, that's the that's the first and only time I voted. And Al Gore won the popular popular election, and still lost. And that's when I found out about this electoral college and started looking into that more and the reason for it and all that. And I'm like, man, this is all just a game. This whole country is built on a pretense of uh, freedom and rights and all these things they claim that you have. And by this document, this document says that you are free and you have this and you have that. And there's amendments and all this other stuff. But I was like, well, that just proves that even if this white man won the election, and they say that he didn't win the election, but this guy won it. I'm like, well, how are black people ever going to get a fair shot? So I was like, at the first moment that I got, not that I had like a lot of money to go anywhere, but at the first moment I got, I got an opportunity to come to Dubai on just some other stuff. And I was like, peace out. I'm not missing nothing. Peace out. Because this is never going to change. 
So I just want to drop that in there, uh, you know, as well, Leon, you know, just, just say that of like. When'd you come over, Dandy? Uh, 2007. 2007. Wow. Yeah. So, so like that, that pressure cooker has been bubbling for so long. Like, you know, we got to. We got to understand, you know, like Leon mentioned, like, you know, some people ask him questions like, why is this happening? Or even like, you know, I'm sure like, you know, all of us have like, you know, that white colleague or that white acquaintance or even friend, you know, it's cool. Um, uh, you know, that says, well, you know, like, what can we do to help? You know, how, how, you know, how can we, you know, how can we like spread the word around or like, um, you know, why, you know, why are they doing this or that? And it's like, guys, you got to understand that America isn't what you see in the movies. Like anyone in the room that's not from the States, like I just need to say that first of all. But then for the rest of us that like, you know, like are socialized in America, we know like the game. Yeah, but like if we were, like if you were brought somewhere enslaved and you worked for 300, 400 years for free and were subjugated and oppressed and treated the worst kind of way, like worse than any animal, any animal, we, like, we can't even say a dog because like white people love their dogs. They keep them in their beds, they kiss them, et cetera, et cetera. So we can't even say that. The worst kind of other animal, it's like a pig or something. Yeah, pig in a sty. We, get, we, we were treated worse than that. So now that a piece of paper got signed for uh, financial reasons, to be honest, the whole civil war, all that was financial reasons. Like, you know, like peep your history. Um, and like catch up to that and understand that it wasn't no like, you know, like Lincoln felt like being a good guy. Like we got to understand that. So fast forward to now, you think people don't remember that stuff? You know what I mean? The daughters, the daughters of like the Southern Revolution and like, you know, all these like splinter cells and, you know, you name it. There's all kinds of splinter cells of people that are just like, yo, we got a certain person in the White House right now that is allowing certain uh, rhetoric to happen out loud. So before they would say the quiet part, uh, excuse me, the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. Now they're flipping that around because they can go back to saying whatever they want again and not be getting called out for it. So that's just being spilled over right now, but it's nothing new. Leon. Yep. Sir, um, how do you handle the onslaught of people who know that you got a settlement and coming and that are coming at you family friends uh investors community people i know you travel the world um you work with uh steve deberry right um you've been in italy you've been in spain you're all over the world who you had a conference call the other day with some some uh, investors Right. So there is a group of all types of people, some investors, some journalists, some uh, uh, venture capitalists, all types of like. OK, yeah. so people know that you are global right. uh, and you are looking at some things and you're looking at. Um, you know, you're in philanthropy, you know, I mean, there's a th ton of stuff you're involved in. I'm sure a lot of people have their hand out 
and a lot of people are trying to swindle. Can you even, if you have time, can you tell the story about the time you were in East Liberty and you were just going to lunch? And then when you got there, it was like a group full of people. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah. so I'll answer the first question. Uh, it's all about setting boundaries. You know what I'm saying? Like when you have a strong note, you know, a strong note goes a far way, right? And so, um, you know, in the big, I dealt with that in the beginning, but once people realized that my note was strong, right, uh, then they kind of like fell back, you know what I'm saying? Especially, like, I, I didn't really experience it too much with community uh, because like, I, like, I don't know, Somebody asked me for something, I'd be like, yeah, go ask my dad. And they'd be like, oh, all right, never mind. <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, no, never mind. And uh, so I didn't, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't really, um, it wasn't too bad, you know, as bad as I've heard that other people experience it. Um, so yeah, just having a, a strong note and setting boundaries uh, is, is very important in any setting, right? Just, you know, with your time and energy, you right. know? Again, that's another way that, you know, I, I don't feel pressured anymore, just setting boundaries. Um, the time in East Liberty was more of uh, politics, right? And it was an insight into who the real power brokers were, right? And so I had a meeting with this guy the, who, who, was, who was a good guy. And I thought it was just the two of us meeting. And, you know, when I got there, there was like a large group of these white dudes, man, who, you, I mean, you could tell they were powerful. You know, you can tell they had influence and they were heavily invested in District 9, right? And so it was different for me because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, um, you know, my cousin at Homewood who is a football coach or my uncle Bob and Garfield who's a football coach. And, you know, the, the small business owners in the community, I always thought they were the power brokers, right? Uh, but to have this uh, veil pulled off of my face and um, to really see that, no, nah, man, these are the real power brokers in the community, right? Uh, that was, it was very, I, eye-opening and they don't live in the community uh no absolutely not mm. but they own all the politicians that's not only making the decisions in the community or in the county uh, but just in pittsburgh as a whole and across the state mm. so um yeah. so they learn how to play the game yeah see there we go again the game uh, I want that to be like the last thing, like um, a theme from this that everyone understands really, you know, like this is a grand game. We have to see that. So um, we have some great questions uh, floating around. Our first question is from, uh, our first question is from Tracy, you know, uh, she says, with what happened to Floyd, what words of inspiration can you give others to positively heal through this pain? Healing is painful, so just be realistic. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, we said it in the, in the beginning of the call. Um, realism is not pessimism, right? You just see things for what they are and heal from it, right? It's like if you experience something in your life, you know, you can't you just go directly toward optimism and say, "Yo, let me be optimistic." 
um, because that's a part of suppressing. But you have to be real and look at things for what they are and then, you know, figure out what your process is going to be. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. I think for a long time, you know, we, we talk about uh, optimism and, and hope and faith and optimism and hope is not synonymous, right? You can have hope and be realistic, right? And, and you know, but I think optimistic sometimes is dangerous. Um, and, and so I would encourage people, let's, let's be realistic. Um, let's be hopeful. Let's have faith. Um, and, and let's connect that to some type of action um, so that we're not just dreaming. Because Dr. King, like, again, uh, in his speech after uh, his I Have a Dream speech, he said, you know, he said, uh, he mentioned he had superficial optimism and that he was afraid that he was sending his people into a burning house, right? And so, I mean, it, he said that, you know, decades ago, and I, and I think it's time for us to get to a place where, you know, we're realistically healing and, and it's a process, it's not gonna be easy, but it's, it's de definitely necessary. And, and it'll be rewarding. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Um. Great insight there. And I hope. I hope. Uh. Let's get for Tracy in the room. Uh. We had another one. Someone. Someone says. Uh. Keep it real. We can handle it. What did they charge you with? I was charged with, um, multiple counts of aggravated assault, reckless endangerment, resisting arrest, escape, and a. Uh, and I think there was, there was another charge that was like more minor, uh, but I don't remember exactly what it was, but I didn't have any weapons. I didn't have any drugs or anything. Obviously, like Keith was saying earlier about the overcharging and, uh, you know, like that kind of practice, like pretty much they're going to have something stick to you uh, because uh, like, I don't know if everyone understands that in the, in the criminal justice system, um, uh, uh, they get more money to charge people. Yeah, like like putting people in jail as a business. This is not just about punitive things. Putting people in jail is a business. There are uh, prisons for profit. So that overcharging is by design. Something's got to stick. Even if you have a great lawyer that can get you off on something, something's got to stick if you make it alive. Um, another question that we have here. Uh, your perspective is inspiring, Leon. Uh, they want to know, um, for you to have gotten through your anger, what happened? And if you can educate us for such a unique perspective, uh, how you got through that. I, w I was so angry that, that I was about to explode. And um, I thought about my son, right? If I, if I made this decision, to harm, to physically harm a police officer. How is this going to impact me? How is it going to impact my son? And um, you know, my my reserve really came from me considering being a father. And I think it's the same for my dad. You know, my dad he he always like said like, you know, I ain't afraid to go back to jail. You know, but if I go to jail, 
or you know, if I die, who's going to make sure you're you're okay? And you're in a wheelchair, so I think I have a duty to be here to protect you, and you know, I uh, my duty to protect you now while you're in this wheelchair is so much bigger than me retaliating against uh, a police officer. Yeah. Okay. Um, have any have any doctors who uh who uh, cared for you? Um, embraced you and or donated to your work, your books, or your speaking engagements? So particularly about your caregivers. Yeah, um, I've de I definitely have great relationships with a lot of my caretakers. Uh, they're all like my Facebook friends. Um, I, uh, I don't know, when I ran for city council, I only took a few donations. I didn't really, uh, like my team was trying to raise money, but I didn't feel I didn't like that part of running for office. Um, and outside of that, I've never taken donations, but they're very supportive and I, I have great relationships uh, with the people from my hospital, like uh, like the nurses, uh, the people from, you know, uh, dietary, bring the food through, to my doctors and physical therapists. like. Um, I'm 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 a type of person like wherever I go, I, I built meaningful relationships, and they still stand today. That's what's up. Uh, you mentioned some of the leaders in the black community that are speaking out. Who are some of the most influential leaders uh, that we can look to for strength during this time, and also to help educate ourselves uh, and others about what's happening? I would encourage people to do their research. Right, um, find your why, you know, and 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 and, and read, study, uh, because you are the leader that you've been looking for. You know what I mean? I, I could, I didn't have the luxury of waiting for somebody to come save me, you know. And honestly, uh, some of the people whose literature I've read, I met them in person, and you know, I love their theories, but they're they're just you know, they're weak, man, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just educating yourself, um, finding out hope, finding out why. If you have children, look at your children. What type of world do you, do you want to leave for them? Um, you know, how, how would you like to, you know, honor your parents or your grandparents or uh, people who, who have come before you that you really value? And um, how can you position yourself to evoke change in the world. I think it's, it's very convenient uh, to look for someone to lean on. Uh, but, bro, when, you, when I was in the hospital bed, or, you know what I mean, when I was done with that depression, it's like uh, sometimes it's, it's even hard, you know, it was hard for me to see anybody. Um, and so, you know, I, I had to lean on you know, the literature and my spirituality uh, to really help me, you know, become who I am now. You said something very uh, profound just now, and I want you to touch on it, but I got a question as well. You said when I was done with that depression, talk about your travels abroad, even your experience, because you spent two weeks with us here. Right. Uh, with my family. We, I mean, Leon, we talk about your two weeks with us all the time. We can't wait till you return. Talk about, I mean, 
you've been all over the world, man. Tell us about that experience and how you've used that to fight depression and heal. Yeah, it's, um, I strongly believe that separation is a catalyst of growth. And uh, me leaving Pittsburgh, me leaving America uh, to be somewhere foreign uh, really opened my eyes to a new normal, right? I mean, yo, I remember you cried, right? We were getting ice cream, right, in Dubai. I didn't want to tell that story. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, like, we were, we were talking, and a motorcycle or something drove past, and it backfired, and I, drunk, I jumped, right? And you, like, looked at me, and, like, you try to act like you, like you didn't see it, but you just start tearing up, man. And he was like, yo, we don't, like, we don't have that here. Like, and that's the normal here. Like, that's, that was my normal in the States, right? And so to be, I mean, I, I was in, you know, in Dubai or, you know, when I was in Spain or um, Portugal, right, or Italy. Like, when I was around the people that I was with, they couldn't believe, like, I was the first person that they have ever met who was shot. They couldn't believe, like when I told people I was shot, they couldn't, be, like they couldn't, they were like shot like how? Like a movie, right? And I mean, where I live, I'm pretty sure, like most of my, like many of my neighbors have been shot before, right? My dad has been shot. You know, my cousin who was here yesterday has been shot, right? And it, it's a norm that it's, I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable. But for us here, you know, in communities in, in the States, it's like most of us know someone who, who was shot. I don't care how successful you are, right? I mean, um, Wiz Khalifa, right? He's all the way in LA, but you know, his, his uncle or his nephew, I, I think I think Imani was his uncle, was shot and killed in, in Pittsburgh, you know, years ago. And so it's, uh, I, I, help, I help came you. over here, Leon, in 2014 to the Middle East. And I lost at least 20 of my former students since I've been here. When I was living in the States and in the schools, I was at a funeral at least once a month of my students. That's our reality. It's rooted, I mean, the trauma is so deep. You know what I mean? The trauma is so deep, you know? Um, but yeah, being, like leaving America just exposed me to that. And like even in Dubai, I remember the students asking me uh, if I was afraid for my son to go to school, yeah. right? And my parents were calling me, my grandparents, they were like, yeah, be careful over there, you know, like, because yeah. there's this idea that, like, the Middle East is so dangerous, and, you know, people, you know, associate the Middle East with bombings and war. And so people are always blown away when I told them, like, these students was like, yo, like, are you 
afraid for you to sign to go to school or not. I was like, why? And, and no, why would I be afraid? And, and they were like, because kids get murdered in schools. In you know, that, blew me away, that, that setting, that story you just told about us at the ice cream shop. Uh, for those in Dubai, uh, we were down in um, City Walk. And it's funny because we went out at one in the morning <laughs> to go get ice cream. And it was him, you know, Leo, myself, and my son. And we were just sitting out and there was nobody out. And those who live in Dubai know that there's a lot of motorcycles and, you know, souped up cars that, you know, have a lot of noise. Um, you know, um, I don't know what it's called, but um, the anger, the rage that I had. Leon, the rea Leon brought a reality that I hadn't experienced in six years or at that time, five years. I was so upset and was brought to tears because I don't jump at that here and haven't jumped at, you know, uh, uh, something that sounds like a gun because that's not the, the culture that I live in anymore. If I was in the States, Leon, Heath, and Cameron, my son, would have all jumped. So when I saw you jump, I, it, it just, I couldn't believe, I just, I was pissed. Like, damn. And I knew why you jumped. Our next question leads on from that. Um, good friend of the show, Noor. Uh, she, uh, she lives peace, in- Noor. Uh, peace, Noor. Uh, she lives in Dubai. Uh, she has a son that's in Los Angeles, and she said that she's living in constant fear. He's out there in the protests. She wants to know how can she protect him while being so far away and keeping him educated isn't enough, she feels like. You know, like, is there anything else to, like, you know, be able to offer to him? It's a tough one, man. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that question. Okay. Unfortunately, sometimes we just have to have faith and just pray about it, right? It's like, you know, and I know people are frustrated and angry, and I've seen people get upset on Facebook for telling people they should pray about it, but sometimes that's what you have. You know, it's like we're at war, you know what I mean? And when people, you know, to have a black child is like, sending your child off to war, right? And you're happy because, you know, I assume, you know, uh, just from watching movies and stuff that sometimes when kids go off to war and they, that's, they first of all, they, they have a choice to go, right? We don't have that choice. Um, so when the, somebody has a choice to go to war and they go and that's what they want to do. Could be bittersweet parent could be happy and excited but also afraid that you know their their child will never never come back um and when you have when you have a black child it's like you love your child you're excited you're happy you have these memories but you know like when your child gets to that age where he's no longer or he or she is no longer cute or handsome and they become a threat because they are black because they are black and intelligent 
uh, because they are black and cultured, right? Um, black and fun, right? Black and athletic. There's a, a possibility that they'll experience some type of state sanctioned violence. And so when child's at war, the only thing you can do is pray, hope, wish, and um, just send words of encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real talk. Um, uh, we we had we had a um, uh, a very good guest on last time. Uh, I believe it was last week. Uh, Principal Cafele, who's a who's a storied educator, and uh, we asked him. Uh, given that we are at war, I think we termed it just like that, Heath. Um, we asked him, like, does he feel like uh, black boys and girls should be getting educated in American schools that about the realities, you know, not like the sugar-coated stuff of like, you know, everyone has an equal opportunity to do this, that, the other, like, just like giving it to them real. So I'm going to ask you that same question, Leon. Do you feel like children, black children in schools should be getting told it's different for you? I I know that's not realistic, bro. How do you feel? Me and my son, we're reading Visions for Black Men by Naim Akbar right now. Very good book. My, good. And my, my son's seven years old, right? And so there's some concepts that have an understanding and hold on to. There's some things that we'll have to revisit next year when he's eight. I mean, we've read uh, think, uh, As a Man Thinketh together. We've read uh, think and Grow Rich together. We've read The Alchemist together. I don't separate my studies from me educating my son. I don't read, you know, um, what I'm reading and then read my son a children's book, right? I read, I take my time and I'm patient and I educate my son while I'm educating myself. And it, I mean, it's something that works, like for me. Um, and I understand, like, unfortunately, you know, um, like when I had my son, I, I was 19 and, you know, me and his mom, we were young. So we have two completely different lives. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not able to pour in him like I really want to uh, because of uh, that relationship. Um, however, you know, I pour into him as much as I can. Um, just with my lived, ex consider my lived experience and how I want to prepare him uh, for the world. If it was up to me, I would homeschool my son, right? Because I'm a very social person. He's been to all my protests. He's been to speaking engagements. He's been to business meetings with me. I don't separate uh, work from fatherhood. I'm exposing him to all, all of the things that I'm being exposed to. And it, is, it has given him a different type of intellect, different type of understanding and awareness. And um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I have a curriculum here, like sitting on my desk, uh, a BrainQuest uh, curriculum. Uh, I have so many books I educate my son, uh, even um, oh, Visions for Black Men, uh, by Naeem Akbar. Um, but I understand that his, the, the school system, and I, I really like his school, but I understand the system, right? 
uh, is designed. Well, it's not designed for him, right? And so uh, I know how he learns. And even like, you know, homeschooling him from like using like, uh, we use Google Classroom. Even how the curriculum is set up, it's confusing for him. It, it, it's, uh, it's very, very confusing for him. Uh, but I, I understand him, so I understand how I have to teach it to him, right? And, and then I, I teach it my way, and it helps him understand how, how to um, complete his task uh, their way. So um, if, if, like, whenever I have another child, you know, and I, you know, homeschool, bro, because I, I believe in it. And then I have the luxury of time, right? Like, I have a lot of time on my hands. Uh, and I'd rather, you know, the same way I invest time into business or, uh, you know, getting on interviews and Zoom calls uh, is the same way I can invest, you know, hours a day into my child. And um, I think that, you know, that's what I want to do. And that's what I, what I would uh, continue to do and encourage people to do. Um, it, it, it amazes me how much, like, our children spend more time with their teachers than they do us. Yes. Right? And so that is scary. <laughs> like, I'm not comfortable with that at all. And so, um, you know, for, for those of us who may have the privilege of time, if we can prioritize that uh, uninterrupted time with our children, even if it's uh, a, 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 a strong 30 minutes a day, where we are focused on our child, no cell phones, no emails, um, no TV, just a strong 30 minutes. If that's all you have, that will matter, right? If you can give an hour, a strong hour uninterrupted where your child feels safe, um, I think that is so important. Uh, my parents, like I have a great relationship with my mom. She's amazing. She, she held it down for me. She's always been present, always been supportive. Uh, my father always been uh, present, always been supportive, even though he, he did uh, 14 years in prison, right? Even while he, while he was in prison, there was always letters. There was always this open, uh, this honesty and this support, right? That I, I, didn't, I never felt like he, he was absent ever. Right. Um, and I think my relationship and I know my relationship with my parents is why, you know, uh, I'm so audacious and courageous because they always told me like, now nah, they didn't just tell me I could do anything. They supported whatever I was doing. Right. If I wanted to, you know, sell shoes or like whatever I did, whatever I wanted to do, they supported me. They, they gave me good advice, good information. And now as an adult, you know, I just believe I can do whatever I want to do. And it's so important to instill that in children early on. I mentioned earlier that um, a lot of allies and, you know, good white people out there do want to know, like, what can I do, et cetera. And when you were just talking about education there, my mind just like wandered on to when I was going to school, I don't remember during Black History Month or uh, at any time, even in just like, you know, when like any black person in like a, any kind of educational context came up that 
my mixed school was socialized to understand the contribution there. Not even like Dr. King Day. It was kind of just like, we have a holiday. Yay. And everybody's happy. But like, did the white kids understand what Dr. King meant? Just for example, and that's like the hugest example of that. But I think, and this is just, you know, like my opinion, I want to get yours, uh, Leon. I think that starting education early in terms of respect for everyone's contributions to America, I think that would help a lot because like, like we just mentioned, the kids are with the teachers more often than they're with the parents. And if, 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 if when they're with the parents, they just kind of get, you know, just like, you know, how was your day? And that's it, you know, and don't really know about their, uh, uh, peers and their classmates that are culturally different how is that going to change when they get older matter of fact a quick one quick one before you answer that um a uh white classmate of mine when i was growing up uh, he put something on facebook yesterday and it kind of uh it was it was a quote from john f kennedy and it was saying like just to paraphrase something about like you know how everyone in america contributed to this and made the place great and etc cetera, etc cetera. and then i kind of said well yeah, but remember, uh, you know, Native Americans were murdered. Uh, you know, blacks came over, enslaved, et cetera, et cetera. Then another uh, uh, mutual white friend of ours said, yeah, exactly, 100%. So that just shows me the dynamic between we all went to school together. One of them is kind of like lost in the sauce, so to speak, you know, got uh, like, like, like I, know what, I don't know what he was thinking of in this type of time to put a comment like that, that everyone is, like, has, has participated. And then the other one is like, no, that's 100% right, what Marlon has just said there, that we do got to remember that other people were super marginalized, didn't have a choice to be here, have done things, and all the reward they've gotten is murder and oppression. So just on the education uh, question for uh, white America as children, how do you feel about that? Just to learn about different cultures in, in a, like a real kind of concrete way, not just, oh, you know, like the, these people were from Africa and their history started with slavery. Yeah. So it, this, this is connected to the last question. In the sense of it starts at home. The system isn't going to teach white children that because the, the system benefits from white children not being aware. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> period. <laughs> yeah, and and that's what that's where uh, uh, and Leon. I think we probably talked about this uh, at length. Uh, Doctor Joy DeGruy, uh her work is around post traumatic slave disorder. She talks about if white supremacy, racism inequality and injustice was dismantled in schools through our teachings, whether it be culturally responsive, cultural, culturally proficient, or just building the cultural competency, that will actually have an adverse effect on the system that is foolproof. So um, I'll type uh, maybe a link in there uh, in, the, in the chat about Dr. Joy DeGroote because they can't tell the truth. That's why America's biggest um, 
pathology is denial. Because if they told the truth, then it would have an adverse effect on their social status. So, so that's, they have to keep that. Wow. Uh, this is just a yes or no question uh, from, the, you know, from the chat. Uh, Leon, uh, your previous lawyer, uh, Crump, uh, did, did he chase you in terms of like a hype machine or did, uh, uh, did you have to solicit his services? Just a yes or no question. Actually, um, I DM'd him. Well, I tweeted him on Twitter, right? Uh, because I, at that point in time, he had uh, Trayvon Martin's case, right? And uh, a lot of times, black families, man, when we see these figures, we, we lean on them. And uh, it was through our work together that I started to realize, like, who he was, you know, uh, what he represented and how I didn't want to, want to associate myself with that. How long was he with you? A few months, actually. Wow. Maybe like two or three months. Wow. Uh, do, you, do you see any similarities in how George Floyd's case is starting to play out? Obviously it just happened, but in terms of like, you know, like you must have some foresight of like, okay, that happened like okay he was, he was he was suffocated uh you were you were you, uh, you were shot but like in terms of how that's gonna play out i think the person means like 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 do you kind of see how that's gonna play out based on what happened to you yeah i mean uh, there's more outrage i see i seen comments from george floyd's brother and it sounds like something benjamin crow well I, I can't discredit his brother's feeling i can't make an assumption but from my experience that is the, the uh, similar rhetoric that I was encouraged to say early on before I started my healing process, right? So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was premature. Um, but yeah, I see many, many uh, similarities, bro. There, there's a bunch of similarities. Sorry. Okay. I mean, the, most of the, all of these cases are similar, right? And then you have some lawyers who are like, we shouldn't speak. You know, publicly, we don't want the family to speak publicly. If if, if we allow the the, the right people rioting and looting to go too far, it's going to sway the jurors and it's going to screw the whole case. So let's get on the let's get on the front of this thing and talk about forgiveness. And 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 you know, uh, from my from my experience, man, none of it works because at the end of the day, you know, uh, those jurors are still going to see you as a black man and. They're still going to see a police officer who, you know, I mean, uh, we all play cops and robbers, right? And there's good guys and bad guys. And so there's an assumption that you are a bad guy uh, just because, like, when I tell people I got shot, you know, for a long time, even a lot of black people, depending on where they were from, they would say, what did you do? Immediately, right? Um, and so there's an assumption that you had to do something wrong for you to, you know, be hurt by a police officer. Very true. And, uh, even when you were, when you were saying about your travels overseas, how, how, uh, uh, um, non-Americans would, uh, say to you like, wow, you've been shot kind of thing. And I'm sure even the more sensational part of that was when you told them I got shot by the police. 
because non-Americans assume that in America, the land of the free, the police have no responsibility in terms of like doing bad to their own citizens. They're absolved. You know, it's also interesting. Uh, Europeans, bro, I would, when I was in Croatia, I had a very powerful conversation. When I was in uh, Italy, I had a powerful conversation. And when I was in Sweden, I had a powerful conversation. They were all connected. And when I told them I was shot by a police officer, they said, well, did your family kill him? <laughs> right? And I was like, no. And they were like, we, oh, we would have killed them. Like, in our, like here, that doesn't happen because if someone, if an officer did that to my family, we have a right to do it to their family. And that prevents it from, that's why it doesn't happen. And I found that to be so profound, right? Um, it was very interesting, bro. And it was more interesting that I felt uncomfortable having that conversation, right? I was just like, damn, like, you ain't allowed to say this out. You're not allowed to say this out your mouth. Like, you could think it, but you can't say it. But they just said it, and they said it with conviction. They said it with conviction, and they meant it. And these are people, you know, that became friends. You feel me? And they were like, bro, like... If I was ever, <laughs> if I was ever in the states, like we have to do something about this, right? And their their way of thinking was completely different. That just like blew me away for a second, and then I remembered a um a, a post I saw yesterday from my brother Polite, and brother Polite uh, was saying that where are all the gangsters at? Where are all these guys that claim that they got so many bodies and like you know like they're the baddest guys on the block and. You know, like nobody messes with them and no fly zone. Call me before you come through my hood. Why don't they ever act tough when the police are around? Why don't they ever act tough when there's anything police related? Whereas they can actually do something about it, but they are gangsters to each other. And what you just said right there is like, yeah, like if, if, if that kind of thing in America was actually a thing that, 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 that definitely would curb a lot of that. You know, like the police would think before they did a certain thing. And even, even in, um, uh, you know, my, fr my friends from Pakistan and uh, even, even in his, in his uh, culture, uh, they have what's called honor killings. They can honor kill their own family. You know what I mean? If like, if like, if like their sister is raped or something like that, they can honor kill that sister because it's brought shame to the family. Same thing, whereas uh, the, the people that have raped the sister, they can go after them legally and kill them and it's accepted. So like what you're saying right now, like that does control uh, a society kind of doing just random things to each other. And yeah, and it, right it's, wrong, it's connected to uh, values, right? Beliefs um, and principles, right? And you know, these, these, these guys, you know, um, who are really, who have really experienced a tremendous amount of, of trauma they're really hurting right and, and they're masking it with with this gangster mentality right but i mean you've seen bullies in school like some of the bullies from high school you know that y'all may have experienced 
look at it, what, what what are they doing now? These are people who, you know, didn't have the the, the real courage to excel in life because they were they were hurting on the inside, right? And they they were were trapped in some type of understanding of uh, or lack of understanding of who they were, and so. There's just there needs to be a, a lot of healing, and um, while I, I do agree with you know um, what you shared about brother polite, I also understand that there's uh, deeper levels of trauma that people are experiencing that causes them to act out and live that type of lifestyle that is directly connected to systemic oppression. You know, Doctor uh, Francis Quest Welsing. Uh, her work is around the ISIS papers and uh, white genetic annihilation. Um, I don't want to go too far down the road. I can tell you a little bit about that, but um, she has sc not screamed, but she spoke out to the black community in America and said one of the first steps, and this speaks to what uh, Brother Polite was talking about, is admitting that you're scared of white people. So when Brother Polite is saying, why is George Zimmerman, the Trayvon Martin killer, still walking around? Or why are some of these police officers, like the one that shot Leon Ford, got a promotion? He's on the force or, 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 or in a suit right now. Right. Why are they? Because black Americans know their place and know that they're not going to do what the brother from Croatia said it's a no-brainer in their culture. So she's saying, we're not, I mean, look at the George Floyd scene. Nobody ran over to push the cop off. Now, thank God the person videotaped it, but everything in my mind was, and of course I played it in my mind like it was real, I wonder what a taste a taser or the electricity feels like because that's what I'm going to do in that situation. I'm just going to push him off of that man so that man can get some air to his lungs. And then I'll just, I'll just get beat up and arrested and tased. But nobody did anything because we're scared. We're behind enemy lines. We're prisoners of war in that social construct. So Brother Polite, he has a point, but it's easy. To, the, quest, the answer to the question is easy. We are scared. That's the, that's the answer. We're yeah, scared. I, I agree. I agree that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen uh, Black Mirror, but it's a it's a it's a dystopian show of a uh, non-connected um, episodic um, uh, shows episodes. So so uh, like this one is specifically about social media, but like in a way, whereas everyone's got their phone out, and this this woman it starts with her not knowing where she is. And she wakes up and all these people are like trying to break into her house. Like these people with like weapons, like chainsaws and bats and all this crazy stuff. And there's regular bystanders around and all they're doing is videoing. All they're doing is videoing. They're not helping her. And she's screaming at them. Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you helping me? 
and everyone right. keeps on running after her, chasing her with the phone, and like while the killers are trying to get to her. And like the whole episode is like her running away from them. Towards the end of the show, it explains it was just a TV show. And then there she is. She thought she escaped. And then she's on this TV show, this big stage, and the whole crowd is there. It's like cheering, like, you know, like she's done something great or whatever. So it's just like these things are not so far removed from reality. And we have to understand that when we see stuff in Hollywood, it's actually based a lot on reality and what's going on. It's not just like, oh, that was an interesting show, back to real life. It's like, no, that actually is a bit of real life. It is dystopian. Because what do we do now? It's like Heath just said, we're just looking. We're just bystanders looking at like stuff that we're like, we're powerless to do anything about. Um, uh, one brother in the comments said, I want to hear about solutions. Well, we're talking about that right now in terms of like most people, yeah, your average person, they are afraid. They're afraid of everything everything they just want to be left alone low-key or keyboard warriors i mean they're afraid to even do this what we're doing right now us even having this conversation uh uh it it's it, it, it's it's crazy i mean I, I, I like you're not saying that i want to be in that situation or you know what i mean be there doing that but just like what Heath just said like yeah sure the worst that could happen is that you lose your life as well but at least you tried to do the right thing. I don't know, you know, like, uh, you know, people just used to be a lot braver before. You know, you can't have 20 people stood around saying, everybody screaming, get off him, and the 20 of you don't try to restrain that wrong person. I, I... Leon, what's your thoughts on, uh, and you brought up Martin Luther King, so let's go back there real quick. This idea of, the nonviolent protest, the turn the other cheek, stand down. Um, when, I mean, it bothers me in, in, in respect to this brother, but I, I, I cannot wait till he's done doing what I'm about to say he's doing. John Lewis, every year or every election, they roll him out and he talks about how he got beat in Selma. Like that, and of course, our, our social media pages are full of, I'm a black man, you know, a little black boy with a great voice singing. It's almost like we're already defeated. We know it. So now we're back on the plantation singing Negro spirituals. So what are your thoughts to this? subservient self-defeating mentality that we have um i i can't say we because I, I don't have it right <laughs> i don't have it um but again it's back to the four agreements right you know i try not to make assumptions <laughs> i try not to take things personally um that, that is their reality you know, I, I don't agree with it, um, but I can't control what they're willing to, to put on the line, right? Um, and also, like, I read a lot of strategy books, right? I, I, I mean, I love um, my son and I, we just finished uh, The Prince by Machiavelli. Um, and, uh, you know, we've read The Art of War by Sung Tzu. 
and 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 so like you know i think that it's important you know for people to understand strategy right it's like we can't sit back and wait until we are provo provoked and angry and outraged to respond right we have to uh, i mean you don't you don't wait until you go to war to be at war right we we've watched you know several movies where i just watched uh conan uh two days ago uh -huh. and uh, you watched his father train him up right and even though his father died when he was just a kid he uh those those principles stood with him um and and even though my father went to prison when i was six years old those principles that that mentality uh to never give in never give up to fight back stood with me and um and then you know once i began to to exercise my mind and read i developed some strategies of my own that you know some people may not agree with right some people may look at the way i chose to move uh, like it was passive right um but it, it really you know it really was a from from a place of strategy and um and, and thoughtfulness right and how like what is the ultimate goal how do i reach that goal and uh how do i position pieces on my board uh in, in, in a way that i can assure my win and a lot of times you know i, I notice because of the circumstances and and those uh individuals that you, you spoke about um i noticed that i was i was already lost right yeah. so i couldn't go to war the way that um i would have preferred to so i had to make some adjustments right um me going me going to trial right or even me negotiating with the city of pittsburgh it was all a strategy i couldn't i my, my strength negotiating wasn't that strong when the naacp is still inviting bill perduto uh to speak at their events right when when um when the urban league is inviting uh bill perduto to speak at their events when you know all of the solid you know uh or strong black voices in pittsburgh were accepting of bill perduto there's no incentive for him to negotiate stronger mm. right and so um there's a lot of the, the factors that go into play um like protesting right i'm not i'm not going out there to protest with them right um for especially now because there's a chance that there's a protester that's standing on the side of me that if, if they get hurt they could blame me and try to sue me right so i have to i have to think about that um i, I have to think about you know we all talk about a revolution i've i've been in a position where i've i've witnessed family members testify on my father right so i don't like the revolution y'all talking about i i know there's a potential that y'all are going to certain people could set me up right and so i have to be wise in how i deal with people and so i i get 
you know, oh, we need a re revolution. That 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 is also to me, kumbaya is saying that let's all come together and 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 have this revolution and change things. And I'm looking, I'm like, bro, I've gifted up discernment. You ain't built like that. You ain't built like that, right? You gonna run. You gonna. I'm gonna get myself slaughtered, mm -hmm. right? And so, uh, my advice to people is, you know to prepare your family and your children, right? Start with, you know, your friends, your loved ones, and um, encourage people to, to, to use their minds, right? Educate themselves, yeah. right? So they can understand history. Uh, I mean, when you think about, you know, uh, certain different groups of people that came to America and how they, uh, they identified you know, uh, uh, an industry, and they went into that industry and they dominated, right? And most of the time, most of the times, like when I'm talking to lawyers, it's usually a Jewish lawyer, right? Um, and 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 so, like, how how can we train you know our children up in a way? And it, and it's happening, right? Um, but I think someone in the in the uh, chat talk about. Uh, getting on the same page with, the, with, with a common goal, right? We have different views, uh, but the common goal. And I, I would like, I would like to see, you know, uh, black people on the same page, um, to the extent of like the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. right? It's like, strong community. Oh man, very I strong. Mean, they, 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 they in careers. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, unfortunately. Um, you know, we haven't gotten that strong because we don't have a collective voice. And uh, I mean, if, if black people in America were as unapologetic as the LGBTQ community, there were there would definitely be like a race war because they don't hold no like they don't care who you are. If you say anything derogative about that community, your career is history. You're done. Yeah. Man, yeah. Uh, I have something to say about that, but I'm uh, but I'm but I'm jump to people's questions quick because we have uh, quite a few to run through again. Um, so someone says, uh, and I'll combine two questions. Uh, two people have a similar one about their kids. One person is a teacher, and they said that they are uh, struggle with what is uh, what they should be telling them. Uh, they're heavy on social media platforms um, and they've created an IG. What are they supposed to say to their elementary school kids? And then the other one is, uh, I'm trying to figure out what to say to my son who has been out of America now longer than he's been in it. And how do I prepare him for post-COVID, post-Floyd? So I guess those are, those are pretty similar. Pretty much what do you tell a child? about what's going on right now, because they're on social media. They're looking at it and not understanding why is everyone mad at each other or whatever. What do you tell the child? What do you they, tell your child? What, what, wait, wait, wait. What do you tell your child about what happened to you and why daddy like needs crutches or a wheelchair to get around? My, my son could tell you my story better than, better than I can. Wow. I tell him the truth. Wow. That's it. I mean, children are very intelligent, right? Like, they have the ability to learn multiple languages faster than we can, right, as, a, as adults, because their brain is 
growing, right? And they're processing so much. So we do our we do our children a huge disservice by sugarcoating things or trying to protect them. Cause really when we try to protect them, we're really hurting them, right? Like my son knows, bro, we are at war, bro. Like you don't have the luxury to fuck around. Right. You don't like and unfortunately like that's his reality. My son been protesting with me because I couldn't afford childcare. Like he's sitting on my lap at protest, right? And um he just has a, a very unique experience, bro. Like so just tell the truth. That's it. That's it. Like and 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 how they grasp it, you know, like, I don't, like, again, I don't tell them what to think. I teach them how to think, you know what I mean? He asked me, what, what should he do? I, I, I'll ask him five questions, you know what I'm saying? And, and try to help him find his own answer, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, and the way he's grown to see the world, but he, he also, he wants to change it. He knows he, he wants to add value to the world. You know, he, he, he has that sense of awareness right now at seven years old. Wow. That, 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 that guilt, um, I'm just looking through the questions, uh, that, that feeling of survivor's guilt uh, has come up uh, a couple times here. And like, cause uh, some people like, you know, Heath and I, and like some others here are based overseas, you know, like not in the States. And we see what's going on from afar. We might be able to communicate with family back home via social media, what have you, but there is a bit of that, you know what, if I was there, I would, I would be on the streets or, you know, like whatever you'd be doing if you were there, you'd be with your family, period. So like somebody's like, you know, kind of expressing, they feel a bit of guilt of being away from the States, able to look at it from afar. Like, you know, can you talk to that survivor's guilt? Cause then you're from a perspective of others that get in police altercations usually don't are able to tell the, usually are not able to tell their story. And here you are with us telling your story. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> I reflect on the night I was shot and I wasn't in pain. Like as crazy as that sounds, like when I, when I actually got shot, that was like those moments were like some of the most peaceful moments of my life, hmm. right? And so from my experience and as I recall laying on that ground, you know, um, leading up to being shot, you know, I was afraid, but after I got shot, I wasn't afraid. And so I can honest, like from my perspective, what I experience now is more connected to what their families experience than what they actually experience. And, you know, the pain, I've, I experienced more pain that I, that I survived than I did, like, if I would have died. Yeah. You mentioned right. that. You mentioned that when you came here. Can you speak yeah. more to that? Can you go deeper with that? Yeah. It's like, so that night I laid on the ground, man. Like I said, I was at peace. And if, if my life ended right there, then cool. Like, I just would have died. No more suffering. But the fact that I woke up in the hospital, right? Um, you know, several surgeries later, shackled to the bed, 
tubes down my uh, throat, uh, dealing with the physical pain, the emotional pain, um, spiritual pain, um, and that ongoing healing process, the confusion, uh, the frustration, the anger, the resentment, um, you know, the, the depression that, you know, would constantly sneak up on me. Um, you know, it, it, it was, and it still is, constant turmoil, right? Like, when I wake up in the morning, I'm angry, and then I have to redirect my thoughts to creativity, right? Like, every, like every morning. Um, and I swing, like, I wake up, and I swing my legs to the side of my bed to transfer my, in my chair, and I think, like, damn, I wasn't born like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, they did this to me, you know? And then I try to, you know, then I read and, and do all these things um, to keep my mind clear and focused. Uh, I, but I strongly believe that's the, like one of the reasons why I'm so intentional about reading and about having all these, um, you know, um, these reminders of positivity and strategy around me is because if I don't, I'm going to sink into that that anger and that frustration, right? Um, right. And so, uh, the book, As a Man Thinketh, talks about how your mind is a garden, right? And if you let your mind run wild, you know, then those those weed seeds will fall and grow, right? And and how, like, in a garden, you know, the uh, there's someone to cultivate the garden and to plant fruits and, and, and flowers that they want. And so I know my mind is a garden, and so I'm very intentional about planting those seeds of positivity and resilience and um, and courage and, and and faith and hope, right? All those things that I need uh, to to succeed and to, to be happy, right? But I also have to be realistic with my circumstances. And when those two worlds meet, that's where you get the, you know, where people view me as an inspiration, where I can make um, thoughtful decisions that, you know, are are wise if that makes sense yeah heavy whose responsibility is it to fix the system that we were kind of thrust into because it's not, mm. it's not black people's system like how do we expect to like survive in that system if it's not our system wow that's yeah. a very interesting question i i think i i don't like the the word responsibility I think it's a duty, mm. right? I mean, either you're either you're okay with it or you're not, right? And if if you don't stand up and do something about it, then then lay, lay down. And I guess that's you yeah. know. I, 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 I feel like I mean, you know, it, if you find something intolerable, you have to fix it, right? And you you have a you have a, a responsibility and a duty to yourself to do something about something that you don't agree with that is directly having an impact on you and your family. You know, Leon, I agree with that, but my pushback. I just watched earlier today. Um, Rush Limbaugh was on the Breakfast Club. Why was he on there? Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I didn't see it yet, but I was just like, what? Huh? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me tell you, me tell you something, man. I know about uh, Breitbart, Proud Boys, um, 
Right, I know about all of that. I will listen to wrestling. I need to know what these dudes are about, and I need to be able to duck or swing when they're coming at me. So it's extremely important to turn on Fox News or whatever and listen to number 45's racist butt. Don't turn it off, man. So I think it was very good to get get that white supremacist on TV. But anyway, um, they were pressing him. Of course, he was pushing back with a lot of ignorance. But a lot of non-foundational black people in America, and I'm talking about whether they're immigrants or they're, you know, they're coming from all over, people, white people especially, okay, ask the injured, subjugated, marginalized, disenfranchised person, so what are you going to do about it? And I always, my pushback is, you're a part of, of course not, you know, immigrants from, you know, Africa and the Caribbean or any place like that, but white people have this notion that it's our problem to fix or dismantle. Rush Limbaugh asked that question today. So, yeah, we're not going to lay down or we're not going to give up and we're going to definitely rise up, but you're not going to just throw this system in my lap with your military and your national guard and, and your systems of subjugation and, and just put it all on me and ask me how I'm, I'm going to dig out this mess you created and navigate through it by code switching. That, that's what they do. Yeah. And, and so my comment to that is what's their incentive to change anything? Exactly. So how can we how could we say they have a responsibility when there's no incentive for them? Like they're not going to they're not, they're not going no matter how many people get beat up and how sad it may look. I realize what you're saying, but my 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 uh my comeback to them is how dare you? Like I know, I know that I have to put both hands on the steering wheel, code switch at work, be a corny black principal guy. You know, I know I got to do all of that stuff in order to uh, navigate through the system of white supremacy. But how dare you ask me how I'm going to navigate through your system? Like how I'm going to fix it? Because if I've ever ascended to anything, you're going to kill me. You killed Malcolm X in front of his family. You killed Martin Luther King. You killed Medgar Evers. Right. So don't ask me how you beat the crap out of John Lewis on the Selma Bridge. Right. Don't sit here and ask me how I'm going to deal with you making progress. So let me let me add, and and this is this is why language is so important, right? Responsibility. Um, I just googled the definition, right? And what I'm seeing is uh, three different meanings. So when you ask me, do you think you know black people have, have a responsibility? 
I went into this definition, right? The state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something, right? So when you ask me that, right, I went there. But I also said, but we have a duty. There's a definition that says, and this uh, responsibility, the state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having control over someone, right? But then when I, when I pulled up duty, this is why I use duty, right? It's a moral or legal obligation or responsibility to a task or action that someone is required to perform. I don't believe, right, that they are required because that, that is an, a, an assumption, right? Because there's no incentive for them, right? right? Then we'll have to pull up, you know, I can go and pull up what required means, but we have a duty, right? We have a moral obligation and a responsibility to protect ourselves and our families. We have, you know, the duty, a task or action, right? That we are required to protect our, ourselves and our families. Yeah. I can argue that, you know, white people, they have their families, they have their uh, beliefs, they have, you know, uh, their culture. Um, and so to even think, right, to even consider um, or to think that they would consider taking responsibility is not realistic from my perspective. And um, from, from my perspective, it is important for us to stay realistic right, right and create a, an agenda based on, you know, what we're currently experiencing and, you know, what we can control, what we have power to do. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what, that's what some, and it's a, it's a, they're in the minority, uh, police chiefs. I, I just saw uh, an interview with a police chief from uh, New York City. I think he's from Bronx uh, or Brooklyn somewhere. I'm not sure. One of the boroughs. Um, he seems like a person who in the system is doing the duty work, right, within the system. As a social justice educator in the States, uh, and I got my brother, Jason Dill, who is, uh, was a teacher in the school that I worked at. He watched me in only about 13 or 14 months try to uh, use my status, privilege, uh, title, uh, and do my duty to bring some semblance of diversity and uh, culture to an all-white school. Well, hold on, let me rephrase that. A all-white racist school. So, um, yeah, we have a duty, but, uh, and somebody just typed, it is bravado uh, to just dump it on the people who are being harmed. That, that's my point. When, I, when, we, when we get that question of, so what's the solution? Like, we're so stupid and we're so uneducated that we didn't figure it out in 400 years. You know what my response to that question is? Right? Is what, what have you done to, pr to prove your allyship? Exactly. Right? It's not, I'm not, 
I like you said, I don't, I'm not. I don't have the solution for you. Right. Prove to me that you're an ally. Prove it. Right. E but even even our own people, when I hear, what is the solution? Well, let's talk about solutions. I'm like, we're look look at our timelines, okay, and then look at world history. Right. We're kicking ass. For what we've been through to where we are right now, and the fact that white supremacists are shaking in their boots, the reason why this is going on is because they're scared. They're worried. They're like, damn, another one, another one, another one. Whether it be po politicians, athletes, um, education, uh, doctors, lawyers, scientists, you're finding the first this, the first that, the first this, and there's just more and more. So progress is being made. We're just in it. Right. We're in it. And Maya Angelou, um, the last two bars of her Still I Rise said, I am the hopes and the dreams of the slave. That was, her, that was the last part. Well, go back 250, 300 years to now, we've made significant progress the reason why we're being harmed is because of that so we can't just so so leon uh so how's this going to change man and leon's supposed to go voila i got the answer it's impossible Oof. What's 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 um what's happening in the states right now in terms of uh, protests? Um, what's this day day four day five? I don't even know anymore uh, of of uh, of our protests in the streets. I saw I saw police cars in New York City run through a crowd. I saw a a police horse trample on a person i saw uh now 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 uh this morning i saw i saw like a civilian vehicle run over a police officer uh it, wow. where's this going like you know like what do you feel about that leon like where's this going if you okay like if you were if you were george floyd and you're just like well how's this how this honor in my memory if that's why this started or even Ahmaud Arbery or you are you yeah if we're just if we're just fighting for the actual just idea to have a fair shot at things where's this going and what's the end game because I mean that can go on forever if we want to if we like like if we want to get like payback for 400 years it's going to be a lot of riot in the streets forever and ever What's gonna yeah. like you know like pretty much like what's gonna what's gonna like you know calm that down or like end game? I don't have the answer to that. Um, it just is. It's some. It's a, we're experiencing a, a part of history. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be uh, a lot of creativity, a lot of in innovation that's going to come out of this. Whether it lasts for you know a month or it lasts for a year, right? There's going to be innovation right there's going to be creativity and you know it's up to us to think about individually what are what are we going to do and how can we contribute 
Exactly. Right. What are we going to do and how, how can we contribute? And um, I think that the question, I don't think we need allies. White people are, are not going to discomfort themselves to the extent of being in our situation. Uh, when, I, when I think of allies, you know, it, it, I, I'm not thinking of a, 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 a friend, like a, a best friend. I'm thinking of like war, like there's informants, right? When, when the FBI are doing an, an investigation, there's an informant. Right, um, you, you it, 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 in any war, you try to get some people to turn over um, to to gain insight, to gain understanding, right? But you have to control that. You know what I mean? You like the FBI, they they don't give informants uh, free free reign and at least and full trust. What's happening at the at the protest is people are too trusting. They let anybody come. They don't know who they, who these people are, where they come from, and these people end up destroying something, right? And so, my uncle he always told me to have a healthy skepticism, mm. right? It's like you know, I'm, I I see you, but I need to know your intent. I need to know your angle, who you are, and you know, however you add value, right? I'm not looking for you to become my friend. I just need you to add value in a way that you can, right? And and we'll see. Like you really have to prove yourself, right? And um, I mean, it, it, it's like when you watch uh, um, Three Hundred, right? And uh, you had the character who um, kind of he got shunned from being a part of the Three Hundred because um, you know he wasn't fit like them. He became an ally you know, to, to, to the army that destroyed yeah. them, right? And, and, and so when, when, you're, when you're in the midst of a war, there's, there's so many different <laughs> tactics based off of your circumstances, right? And so I'm not saying let's just go out and find allies. I'm saying based on your circumstances, who is positioned the best to help you reach your goal? Yeah, and that's why... You know, when I was telling you that, that I had this elaborate idea about politics and how the black vote should be counted the day after the election, not the day of, as a non-registered black voter, um, I got it from, I thought about it as what you just said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. So if these people need us, like they say they do, and they're gonna do the Dougie and the Nene, and they're gonna have hot sauce in their purse, and they're gonna kiss, you know, black babies, they're gonna go down to the Selma Bridge and roll out John Lewis to tell his story, then we need to look at them the same way we look at the other side. Because they're not all allies either. You know, Malcolm X, uh, Malcolm X said, um, remember, remember, uh, remember Malcolm X movie, uh, at first when, uh, he was on that, on that college campus, uh, the white student came up to him and said, uh, Mr. X, sir, I read all your speeches and I follow all this. And she's like, you know, how can a, a good white person like me, you know, how can I, you know, how can I help you guys? And he looked at her dead in the eye and said, you can't and walked away. 
Now, yeah, he regretted that. It is now after that, you know, um, you know, the, like everything happened with Nation of Islam, etc. And he fell out with them. And uh, then he went to uh, Mecca and Africa and traveled around more and like got more socialized with good white people uh, and came back. And then when uh, he was questioned about a similar kind of question um, in a media thing, um, he said, listen, white people can help us, but they can't join. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, think, I think what you said, Leon, is very poignant where you said, like, you need to prove to me your uh, value as an ally or your, your, your um, genuineness of wanting to be an ally. It's not just like, oh, can we all just calm down so we can get back to like, you know, like, you know, pretending to be yo, yo, yo and all cool and everybody just, just, just let's all be American. Like, what's the genuineness of wanting to be an ally? It can't just be just to like, you know, everyone calm down because there is a problem. I, I, have, a, uh, I have a mentor, right, who he's a business owner. Uh, and he's a white Republican, right? And this dude, man, is like one of the most genuine people. Like, he's went harder for me than a lot of black leaders in Pittsburgh, right? I mean, I'm talking about contributing to my campaign. Yeah. Right? Contributing to my campaign, making calls, on my behalf, like putting pressure on people with, with like, just, just because, right? And so I had a convert, like I met up with him a few days ago and um, this dude, like he was crying cause he was like, yo, I watched the video, right? And he's like, you know, what's crazy is and what makes me so sad is when I put my phone down, I realized that it didn't affect me. Mm. That I can go back to my house, right? And my my children, right? I, I don't have to worry about my children. Like it's not my reality, you know, as a white man, uh, that I have to live this, right? But I he seemed like he act like he's so like we, we have tough conversations, right? This is not someone who's like, you know, um, Yo, I, I, I just want to be an ally. I want to help. This is someone who's seeking to understand certain things, right? Um, and like that, our, our, our bond, our relationship, our friendship, um, it, it, it is so important because we're, we're not family. He's not experiencing what I'm experiencing. And he has a, an understanding of my experience. Right and 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 what and how our experiences differ, and I think you know it's people like that, right, who can use and leverage their influence, but also know that damn, like my life is so much different than this, and I, I and and how I live is a luxury compared to what what um, my black counterparts experience. What's next, man? What's next, Leon? What you got? Uh, for me, or in like generally, what's next? As in regarding to where you, where you, when are you leaving Pittsburgh? <laughs> you know, I don't like you there, man. Yeah. I really don't. I don't like you there. Every time you touch down, 
And I, I'm like, damn. Now, when you're in Spain and Croatia, I'm happy. Now, <laughs> when, are you, when are you leaving? Uh, what's next as far as your work? Everything. Yeah. You know what? Like, when, when, I, when I was in Europe um, and in Dubai, I felt, I felt like a runaway slave. Right? Damn. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I I feel like, you know, now I'm like coming back and, and trying to, you know, plant seeds in people and I have the luxury, I'm, I'm free now. You know, I have the luxury to, to get up and get on the plane when I want to. Right? Let me tell you something. Uh, I'm, I'm basically talking to the group. Let me tell you how I left Pittsburgh, okay? I had already had uh, my situation in Dubai in the fire but it took about a year and a half for it to actualize. So in that year and a half, I spent uh, a year at a school district, a suburban school district. And around the time that I got an email saying, pack your bags, okay? So I had already interviewed, I'd already been through the process. A week before I got the email that said, pack your bags, I was suspended as an assistant principal because I gave a presentation to 400 ninth graders. This school was huge. It's about 1,500, 1,600 kids. Four, they gave me 400 ninth graders and they said, Heath, we need you to do something with them for about two hours because the rest of the school has career day and some college fairs and stuff like that. So you got 400 ninth graders in an auditorium. You got to do something with them. So I came up with this elaborate idea to talk about diversity. I went to Stanford University's website because they do work on something called a social psychological term called stereotype threat. And what stereotype threat is, is pretty much the stereotypes of a certain group, but then the person, the individual, lives with the threats of those stereotypes in their psyche or on their conscious. So a woman will walk in a space of men and already have a certain negative uh, thought about herself in that all-male space. So black people, a lot of times we suffer from stereotype threat walking in a grocery store with money or walking in anywhere or just being black. We're, you know, driving, okay? I hope I didn't get pulled over because I'm black. I hope these people uh, don't think I'm uneducated because I'm black. So I was explaining stereotypes, but the, the, the Stanford University slideshow that I took had stereotypes about everything you can imagine. There was one slide out of a, maybe 15 slides that showed a group of stereotypes. There was 36 stereotypes on one slide. One of the 36 said, black men are, I mean, it had, it had 36 terrible things, but there wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't bad, but it was the stereotypes. But it said, black men are well endowed. They didn't say big penis. They didn't use the word. It said well-endowed. 
a teacher saw the one bullet, ran with that, and I ended up getting suspended for three days. While on a three-day suspension, without pay, my plane ticket came. I was out. So I left America like that. Two middle fingers up. So that that when I see you in a in a boarding an airplane or in another country away from there, it's like me leaving again with two middle fingers up. Hey Heath, I want to I want to mention as well. Um, I, I went back home after ten years. Up up until last last uh, Christmas, I'm I. I hadn't been, like I say, home, but like, to be honest, I don't really know anybody. And it's like, you know, my family members, that's just like, wow, like you exist still. But like, you know, like I hadn't been back there in 10 years. Um, and everything just felt like very foreign, except for like the warmth of family, sure. But the place, um, like, you know, like everything just like really felt like really foreign. However, before that, I'd gone to Kenya and Kenya felt like warm and hospitable and it felt just comfortable. I wasn't looking over my back or even thinking about that question that um that statement that you said about uh just being black. You don't you don't you don't have that feeling. Um right. I'm bringing this up to say that, you know, me personally after experiencing life overseas and being a global citizen, I can never live in America again knowing what black people have to go through on a daily basis, just being themselves. And we're not talking about the past. We're talking about right now, obviously. I don't got to tell you guys because you're living it right now. Everybody is black, white, whoever. So it's, 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 it's opportunity. Are you able to do it? It's um, uh, uh, the want. It's all these things, but there's a big world out there. And I think that we need to remember that. And I think that when our true power as uh, black people in America, if you're able to travel and able to live somewhere else, not saying it has to be on the continent, but if you're able to live somewhere else, I think you should. And that is, <laughs> and, 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 hey man, I'm, I'm for real. And that, is, and that is exercising your power. That is showing I don't have to spend my black dollars in this place that I am marginalized and not respected. I have options. It's just like a woman in, a, in, a, in an abusive relationship because that is exactly what America is for black people. It's an abusive relationship. And we keep on going back after they say sorry. We keep, okay, okay, maybe he was drinking too much. He, you know, he had a drink and he hit me, but he doesn't mean it. And you go back. Then it happens again. And you go back and it happens again because you got nowhere to go or you're brainwashed that you have nowhere to go. Or you have no value without that person. Well, I think the same of some people, not everyone, but like if you have an opportunity to get out of an abusive relationship, why wouldn't you, if you have the opportunity? Yeah. So to me, I wouldn't go back to the abusive relationship. I think, I think that's what uh, Heath means when he said that, Leon, we love when we see you traveling. We love right. when we see someone like you that has had that traumatic experience get the ability to move about and see that this is a, a much bigger thing than what you've been socialized to think of just your block. 
Right. Two things. Two things. Um, one, the only thing that feels like home in America is family. Yeah. Me. Um, the other thing, Dandy, I remember you uh, said this to me in Dubai. You said, bro, what slave is free and doesn't leave? And I, I, mean, I was like an Uncle Tom, right? <laughs> like Uncle Tom. And you said, no, a black American. Right. And, yo, that right there, like, changed my life, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm still, like, I'm here physically, but I'm, I'm gone, right? Like, I, I know this place, I know it's not for me. Um, one of the things that keeps me here is, is definitely my son, right? Uh, having a seven-year-old and trying to f- figure out you know what that looks like and i'm in a i'm in an interesting process with that situation uh right now but uh it's like it's children and family just trying to figure out what that especially when you're 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 not with the the person that you had a child with so that that makes it very complicated right um especially when they have a completely different perspective of America and, um, you know, lived experiences are different. So um, that makes it extremely difficult for me. Uh, however, you know, I, I like, if it wasn't for COVID, I probably wouldn't be, you know, I don't stay here that long. Right. Yeah, so uh, COVID really uh, made me, you know, uh, sit for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, once, once, you know, my son has, has his passport now. So, you know, uh, once things are safe again, we will definitely uh, be traveling. Wow. Brother, we have been gone for three hours. I'm not sure if everybody in the room knows that. And, you know, your time is, is valuable. We thank you. Um, as your uncle, I love you, man. I, really I appreciate do. you. Yeah, and I, uh, I wish the best for uh, your future endeavors uh, as far as, you know, I know you got, I know you're holding out on me. I know you got something brewing. So I'll wait. I'll wait. I can tell when I ask the question, what's next? You ain't ready to tell us. I, I got a few things brewing. I know you do. Yeah. So. He'll tell us um, offline. He'll tell us offline, Eve. He'll tell us. <laughs> right. Um, if, if anybody has, a, you know, any questions, um, one last question, maybe. Does anybody have anything? I wanted to just, like, express this because um, in Leon's document, <clears throat> excuse me, in Leon's documentary, uh, he, he mentioned uh, Ubuntu, which uh, Ubuntu means I am because we are. And then during it, you know, he was uh, he was in a session with, um, you know, some children just like in a circle uh, telling them, I am destined for greatness. And they all repeated it. He said, I am destined for greatness because I attract what I am. And all the children repeated this as well. Now, those children had also been through trauma, maybe not exactly what he had been through, but they were able to express to him. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So you'd be surprised. I know like a lot of questions in the chat were about children and what do I tell my students? What do I tell my son? What do I tell my daughter? But children experience trauma at 
extremely high level, just like how we do. So you just got to be real with them and tell them exactly how you feel. Exactly how you feel can be okay for how they feel. You don't got to shield them like what Leon was saying about sugarcoating. Yeah, tell the children the truth. And then um, secondly, a friend of ours, Mill the Barber, yeah, our peoples, you know what I mean, did, did, uh, did uh, something really dope for us earlier, but it really um, got me to thinking. And uh, at the end of the video, because I was so like turned, um, you know, tuned in to what, uh, you know, what he did for Global Brothers Podcast. We appreciate you, Mill the Barber, by the way. Um, he pretty much put out a PSA, which was his ending screen. And that means public service announcement for those. Yeah. So uh, he said, this PSA is inspired by spiritual law that dictates we only speak phrases of empowerment. So when, what I mean by that is as people go through the streets saying, I can't breathe, that is a feeling of, sure, it is what was said by Eric Garner and George Floyd, but we should flip that and take the power back. Let's take the power back and we should say we can breathe. We will breathe. We are breathing. Wow. Yeah, if you keep a mantra of doubt and negativity and pessimism, then that's what we will be. And that will be the last message heard. Imagine everyone that talks about George Floyd, rest his soul, they just say that, oh, you know, he was crying for his mother. He was saying, I can't breathe, and they still didn't get off him. Like, that's just sympathy, sympathy, sympathy. Like, these, like, horrible feelings that we can only feel for the man when he had a whole life. He had an entire life lived, you know? Like, what about the good things? What about the empowering things that he did in his life? I think only, um, uh, who's the basketball player that, like, you know, was his good friend? Steven Jackson. I think only, he was the only one that I heard say, positive things about like, you know, how they were, you know, coming up and they would talk to each other all the time and have like positive things to say. And, you know, he was, he was doing good in his life and he was driving trucks and he enjoyed it out there in Minneapolis. But everyone else in the street is just like, oh yeah, George Floyd, I can't breathe. Eric Garner, I can't breathe. Well, we need to empower ourselves. Let's take back our power. I want to say to everybody on this call and everybody that's going to be listening to this, you know, later on, like our YouTube, et cetera, uh, we can breathe. We will breathe. We are breathing. Thank you guys for being here. Well said. So um, this uh, podcast episode will be uh, up on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google, and about seven other smaller podcast platforms, but they are all on the major ones. And then the video uh will be on youtube on our global brothers podcast youtube channel so please subscribe to the youtube channel follow us on instagram at, at global brothers podcast follow leon ford at, at leon ford speaks on instagram he's leon ford of course you're right here leon you could have said that right um he's uh leon ford on facebook and um we appreciate the three hours from everybody um thanks for allowing uh me leon to also express my uh passion and disdain for some of the things that's going on as well i know this show was for you but there was some things that i really needed to clear up and just speak out and say so uh, thanks for for allowing me to to do that i needed that you're welcome um, thank you yeah Thank you all for Tune in.
been a pleasure. I didn't realize it was a little over three hours, and this this was a very uh, powerful discussion. And uh, I appreciate you know you all for inviting me, um, and for everyone who tuned in, and everyone pretty much stayed Crazy, the whole right? time too. So beautiful. Thanks everybody, Marlon. Another good show. Boom. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much. As we always say at this time, live global and prosper. Peace. Check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast, and please subscribe and share and, you know, continue to support, you know, good yeah. time. Thanks, everybody. Mr. Worldwide.